sense. So everything that I've dealt with mental health, spiritual health wise is like, there's, this is not a peaceful process to cleanse my instrument of the darker energies that, that have, you know, affected my life. Like I have to be very, very thorough and it's heavy lifting and it's not fun. And, um, you know, I think some people get into, so oh, this is great. I can hang on the jungle and practice. It's going to be groovy and, you know, light and love. And like, it's not my experience at all. It's a fucking street fight. Yeah. Um, spiritual street fight. And there's blood in the gutters in my experience. Greetings and love, you beautiful humans. It's Ben. Our guest this week is Nick Keene owner and manager of the Agramont Barn in Western Massachusetts. Nick joined Mike in the studio to talk about his experiences with ayahuasca, one of the most powerful plant medicines known to man. Nick is currently training to be a pourer of ayahuasca for others, a somewhat long and mysterious process with no handbook or dogma to guide him along the way. We speak about his first ceremony, the various diets that one must partake in during training, his work with Rupert Sheldrake, and the healing power of Madre Ayahuasca, La Medicina. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Terrain Theory. Okay, we are live. Nicholas Keene, welcome to the Terrain Theory Podcast. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real treat. I'm, I'm humbled to be speaking to you guys. You guys get amazing people on this podcast. I've been listening to some older episodes, so... Hope I have something cogent to say. <laughs> we, we do our best, and now we can add you to that, uh, that oh. lengthening list of amazing people. Um, and to the listener, uh, this is a real treat because Nicholas is in studio with Mike uh, down there in the Catskills. I insisted. He's like, hey, you want to do a remote? You want to do a remote? I said, no, I'm coming, man. Yeah, I'm man. coming over, man. <laughs> I bet the drive was pretty glorious. We've had beautiful. a nice, long, lingering foliage this year yeah i've been wanting to get over and check out your yeah. spot here so it's uh it serves multiple purposes yeah well, i'm envious I, i'm long overdue a trip to the humble humble abode where are you in uh, you're in vermont correct yeah outside of burlington it's uh um, we're past the foliage peak but it is still beautiful right now cool man nicholas tell us a little bit about yourself well uh i'm in aries no i'm teasing <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm actually a triple Aries, which means like I'm the most stubborn person on the planet. Um, uh, I grew up in New York City. I'm uh, 49 years old. Um, right now, I live in Western Mass in Egremont, and uh, I own the Egremont Barn, or it owns me, which is a music <laughs> venue. And uh, we have a compound there with a hotel, a coffee shop, a, a rescue animal farm, and the venue, which is a pub and music venue. And, Mr. Miranda's played there. Mike and Ruthie played there. Um, and uh, it's a joy to do it. It's uh, it's uh, been an amazing experience. You know, that's probably why I float the option of, of doing this remote, because I know venue owners seldomly leave the venue. Precisely why I didn't want to do it remote. I, I've been making a right. real effort to get the heck out of there as much yep. as possible. Yep. In fact, last this is a reschedule. We, we were penciled in i forget sometime over the summer yeah, and August. you were gonna and at the last minute your oven died in the kitchen and you yeah. had to deal with an appliance malfunction like multiple ovens exploded one morning <laughs> just, just, sorry mike I, I think i need to deal with the spewing propane lines you yeah. know so it's it's a it's a constant effort over there and the buildings from 
1786, uh, or at least one of them. So it's, you know, it's a constant, endless repair. Yeah. Well, and I'm excited about having you here because uh, A, it's wonderful to hang out with a friend in person always. But I know you through the venue. That's basically where we see each other and catch up right. between sound check and, and you cooking us a meal and then us doing our show. And then, uh, so we never get enough time together. It's always like in the context of work. Granted, what we do for work is there's a fair amount of play. Um, so I'm just thrilled to get to know you a little better. So continue with your, your, uh, your hit, your origin story. Um, what else about my origin story? Uh, you know, I've had a, I've had an amazing life. I've had a, sort of a few lives packed into one. I used to be in advertising. I, first I was a theater artist, uh, then I, uh, I changed teams and went into advertising for about 10 years. And that just pretty much was like battery acid on my soul. So I, I closed that company, uh, uh, after about 10 years. And that's actually brought me up to the edge of when my family and I bought the the property over in, in Egremont and began the, the journey towards the, towards setting up the venue. Uh, the, that building used to be a venue in the seventies and eighties. And, um, uh, we sort of, it was lying fallow for about 30 years. And, um, so that was always the, the juice for us there was getting this, my family are all musicians for many generations and opera and, and classical music world, uh, different, different band, you know, a different brand of music and, um, talk about crazy people, the opera world, is like <laughs> the most insane people on earth. <laughs> always jumping off the top of a castle or stabbing each other, you know, it's nuts. <laughs> So we um, <laughs> we set that up, and it was actually my mother and I uh, mostly um, doing it. And she passed a year ago today. I didn't even I didn't even clock the day. My brother called me at like six o'clock in the morning. I was like, God, what, what what is it? What's wrong? He's yeah. like, oh, I just thought I'd call you a year out. Yeah. So it's been um, and it definitely all feeds back into um the medicine work, uh, which we can get to. But um, so it's been it's been a very interesting process setting that up getting to know my mother in a different way over the 10 years that we did it and like we were business partners so i i had to i had a real gift in being able to reframe my experience with one of my parents from being a parent to being a person mm -hmm. which i think is sort of an unspoken piece of work for us all as adults like it's really important to kind of take them out of that that primary role right and set them back into one that's more tenable well, and that's a two-way street because you they need to do the work and see you as a person and not just the, you know, the young ignorant son who bumbling right. his way through the world. Yeah, that's the tricky part. <laughs> doing their work, but um I was actually pretty amazed by my mother's process towards the end of her life. Um and she really did it's one of the things I do uh, I really did admire about her. She never stopped um growing and changing. So it was it was a it was a real it was a real um, gift to, to bear witness to that um, and to be able to participate in that, you know, towards the end. I brought her coffee every day for the last, you know, 10 years of her life. Yeah. Sat down, we'd scheme on, so how do we make this music venue work? Mm -hmm. um, it was it was interesting. So that's on my mind today, just putting that out there. Yeah. It's definitely like influencing what I have to share. Mm -hmm. Well, it's on ours as well, I, I, I imagine. Um she'll be a she is now a part of this episode and that's touching and special so thank you for sharing that yeah man and how did you find plant medicine or did it find you definitely found me um i was surprised because i've sort of been um 
relatively either fearless or cavalier, <clears throat> as one might, however one chooses to look at it with, I've always been willing to explore sort of the outer realms of consciousness and definitely had many, many years of a lot of experimenting with different um, drugs slash medicine, some to very deleterious effect on my life. But so I was always <laughs> kind of forging uh, kind of recklessly or fearlessly into that. Um, but it definitely was not framed medicinally for the first few decades. <laughs> but um, that's really maybe one of the main shifts is that all like everything we put in our body is medicine. Um, our entire experience is medicine. And like most medicines, uh, depending on their dosage and reason for taking them, it's like it passes a threshold into toxicity at some point. Um, and that's the same with everything that, that we use as a, as a quote unquote medicine. But basically I was, it was about three and a half years ago and I was in a particularly difficult time in life, definitely struggling, um, and, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily known it from the outside. The venue's really successful. Yeah. My life's successful. And that's sort of been the pattern of my life. is like highly functioning, a lot of, you know, a lot of really cool stuff going on. But sort of the inner turmoil would just kind of, usually the more successful things were, the more turmoil there was. It's definitely been my pattern is learning to cope with, um, with abundance and success. It's just not what I was attenuated to as a child to be comfortable with. Hmm. Um. And I was doing some ketamine-based psychotherapy with a group in Connecticut. And um, it was sort of right when that was coming online a few years ago. Or, you know, It was one of the first clinics that was approved. And I didn't like it at all. I didn't really respond to it well. I didn't like the synthetic nature of it. And um, the practitioners were okay, but it just wasn't, it wasn't quite doing it for me. And out of nowhere, the, one, of the, one of the practitioners says, you know, I think you need to read this book. Um, called Fellowship of the River by a guy named Dr. Joe Tarfer, which I highly recommend to anybody who's interested in um, in learning about um, ayahuasca and, and what what goes into it. And it's a very it's, he, Joe is a Western doctor of uh, American and Colombian descent, and he he set up um, he's co-founder of a place in Peru called Niue Rao which is N-I-H-U-E-R-A-O.com. And it's a spiritual center in Iquitos, outside of Iquitos in the Amazon. Anyway, so she handed me this book. And by page 10, I'd book my ticket. <laughs> and I'd call them and like, like, I'm coming. I don't care if you have a bed. I'm on the way, man. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's where the road forked for me in this. And um, the book's great because um, he's a fairly clinical guy. And it's not uh, it's not all moonlight and canoes in the book, or you know, it's not and it's not a lot of woo woo. It's a really excellent book for people who um, need some Western grounding to the logic to to go and start doing that work. So I pass it on to a few people, and it definitely is a uh, you know, it's just a it's a fairly objective piece of writing, and it's not too flowery. And this is two thousand eighteen ish, two thousand no, it's two thousand twenty. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, then by March, well, 2019 and then into 20, I got, so I went to Peru. Uh, I got down there in March uh, of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And I'm there at the center when the lockdowns start happening. And I actually left one day early. I pulled out 
um, because actually during ceremony, I got a, a communication. Um, I got a series of communications, but the last one was like, oh, and by the way, you're leaving tomorrow. Hmm. And I got on the last plane out of Peru and people were there for another six months lockdown. I mean, mm -hmm. they couldn't go into the town. They had mm -hmm. to stay at the center. So mm -hmm. I literally skated out on the last plane before the lockdown. So but, like, okay. So this, this was your first experience down there. This was your first trip down to experience ayahuasca because right. of what you read in this book, Fellowship of the River. Yep. And well, yeah, partially because what I read and then just, it was like, it was pretty, pretty much a, a white light moment when the other things that I were trying weren't working. And I knew somewhere in my pseudo conscious that this was like the big, the next big thing to try and had been very effective for other people. And there really wasn't at that point in my life, I'd been in therapy for, Oh Lord, since eight years old, Wow, done a lot of men's work, done a lot of different modalities and, and all of them helpful um, in their own space. But, I've been working at some very early childhood trauma that's been very sticky and uh, and taken a long time to get to, and nothing really got to it. I was in talk therapy with the same therapist for almost 20 years, and um, a very effective, useful relationship in my life, but it's, it's something about um, Western talk therapy that just remains sort of theoretical, you know? It mm -hmm. remains uh, intellectual. Mm -hmm. And uh, as opposed to physical. And so I've really found that the plant medicine world addresses physical causes and conditions as well as energetic and mental ones. And sort of remove distinction between that in a way. And I think just like everyone's individual and modalities can work for some people and not work for others. I think talk Correct. therapy can be incredibly beneficial for a certain type of person. And, and then for others, they need something else, something more. And um. Uh, so, so walk us through that first experience. You've had, you've obviously, you've got experience using hallucinogenic, uh, hallucinogenic drugs, disassociative drugs, leading up oh, to yeah. this point, ketamine, etc. Um, but you haven't used ayahuasca. What was that first ceremony like for you? Um, it's pretty terrifying experience. Also, the the trip itself, I noticed that the the effects of the medicine, and this has been true as, as the studies and the, and the, and the practice of it has continued. It, it began well before I even left the country. Like I began to purge, like purging is a big part of ayahuasca. Uh, it's not always, um, but um, like I started purging a few days before. So like, what is going on? I'm mm. like throwing up. I'm mm. like, oh, am I just nervous? Mm. This or that. Um, and a lot of these, a lot of this sort of cause and effect ideas about Western medicine and Western health have been completely dissolved, you know, and by my, by beginning to work with plant medicine. So, and it was pretty, I was pretty aware of it at that moment. I'm like, oh, wow, it's just this, the ceremony has already started. Yeah. You know, it started days before I even left the country and that was a fairly clear download. So, uh, it's a long, it's a series of long flights, uh, to get to Niwe Rao, you have to, fly to Lima, you got to fly to Iquitos, <clears throat> which has no roads into it. So, but it's a very large city. It's like half a million people, but it's um, landlocked in the middle of the Amazon. And then you get on a boat and you paddle up the Amazon a good ways, uh, actually a tributary of the Amazon. And you get off and walk into the jungles and people sort of meet you. And, but it was funny because I get down to where the boat leaves and this one guy, Marco from that place is the guy who transports you from the airport to the 
to the boat landing, which is a, it's not even a landing, but so I'm sitting there and he's like, ah, the boat's not here. And I don't know where the guy is because this guy will take you. <laughs> and it's like, it's like a, like a garbage, like a canoe made of garbage with 12 inches of water in the bottom that he's scooping out the back. And I'm like, well, you know what? F it, man. Let's just, let's go, man. I don't care if I make it, if I don't make it. Yeah. So I think that there's, I think that that pilgrimage to, to get that, to go that far to, um, experience something or a sense of motivation like boy i'm at my last this is the last chance that i have to deal with was definitely motivating for me and uh colored the experience of trying to get there and a little bit of the devil may care effort i'm gonna i'm i'm getting on this sinking scowl (laughs) you know in some remote corner of the world and maybe i'll get there maybe i won't was appropriate to my headspace at the time um, so you get there, it's not a warm experience. You know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's increasing information about the quality of a lot of these places. This is like a really amazing center. And, uh, the guy named, uh, Amaringo, Ricardo Amaringo Maestro, Ricardo Amaringo heads it. And he's the Shipibo master that, that runs it and was co-founder with Joe and uh, another woman named Svita, who's a who's a visionary artist and they found it all together. He's not, you get there and you know, there's no welcome and Oh, how can I help you? It's just like, it's, it's Spartan and rough and cold and nobody's there to hold your hand. And it's not, it's not um, a warm experience. I think now uh, there's some ones that have a little bit more of a Western influence that are becoming more popular, like Facebook, Rhythmia, and right. this, and Saldara, or whatever, in, in Costa Rica. And I'm sure they'll find places. I've never been there, but um, the, and we can get into this, the Spartan nature of the experience in a place like Niue Round, some of the other places that are in the Amazon is the point. You're there. There's no amenities. You're in a Spartan room. You eat Spartan food. No one's there to tell you it's going to be okay. You have to begin to fill that space for yourself, Um, which was useful. It was funny. When I arrived, there was like this gangster from Manchester who was this bald, like he was just a prison tatted, rough, rough character from England um, named Steve, who was one of the the, they call them the pasajeros, the passengers that that were arriving that day, and he and I bonded right up. I would obviously, you know, gravitate towards the reprobate fellow reprobate, and he's just like, "Oh, I know what this place is like." And he's just like this really rough, muscled, bald-headed bulldog of a man. I'm like, "Steve, man, what are you doing here?" He's like, "Oh, my son drank it." And he said, "Dad, you're fucked. You gotta drink this stuff." He's like, "Cause you're fucked, Dad. You gotta drink it." I said, fuck it, I'll go, I'll drink it. <laughs> I said, all right, so Steve's here. He's fucked and he's drinking the medicine, you know. And his, uh, just bearing witness to what he went through was amazing. And yeah. um, agony, stomach agony, passing trauma and violence and his violent existence out over the course of a few days in the middle of the jungle. And, um, you know, there's a lot of purging. And, you know, I think that one of, when you begin to accept the the premises of plant medicine, you realize that a lot of the body's illnesses, you know, I, I don't really see a, a dividing line anymore between mind, body, and spirit. Hmm. You know, I think that's one of the disservices, person's my opinion, that 
the Western, as we evolve back out of materialist uh, vision of what the world is into something a little bit more holistic, the splitting of the splitting a part of those three things, I think, is a mistake. I think they're one thing. And they're one prismatic um, manifestation of whatever our existence is, as opposed to being I fix my body, but my spirit's fine. I mean, it's just it's one thing. You have a, you have an illness uh, or a disbalance. It's affecting all of them. It may seem like it stems from one part of one, but it's not. It's just a it's a it's a systemic. The the um, intelligence and and intelligence is a systemic phenomenon you know hmm. um and the things that manifest for us are systemic they're not they're not isolated to the body or the spirit or the mind it just doesn't make it makes no sense to me anymore and the medicines really helped me sort of open up to that idea or at least seeing the evidence um so yeah he was steve was just really he was really struggling and um uh, our entire dialogue became quotes from Scarface or Jaws. <laughs> so he shambled out of his hut one morning next to him. And, he's, and, uh, he's, and he'd been very ill and in the bathroom most of the night. And he's like, we're going to need a bigger toilet, mate. <laughs> Instead of we're going to need a bigger boat from Jaws. Um, so there was, you know, there was a lot of, we generated levity. Um, but uh it was, it's a very harsh environment um, and, um, you know, relatively. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't, I think people are going to make that level of commitment to get down to a place like that. They probably don't have much expectation that it's going to be moonlight and canoes the whole time, which it's not. So <clears throat> let's walk through, let's just walk through more of the specifics of that, that first ceremony. So there are other people there at this uh, this retreat or the center who mm-hmm. are also there to participate in the ceremony are th- are you all in the same room for ceremony yes there's there's sort of two levels of people that go to the center there are people that are going to um and this is another huge part of of all of this um people are just coming for a shorter period of time pasajeros that are that are just coming for a week, two weeks, maybe. And then there's people that are dieting uh, and long dieters, which is the practice of actually studying it and training as a, as a curandero shaman. And um, those people live in more remote huts out beyond the tree line and you don't see them very much and you don't spend much time. When you're doing a diet, you're really not supposed to spend much time with people. A big chunk of it is isolation. So there are these two levels of people that are at the center um, there. And I think that's pretty much the case with other places uh, that do offer holding long diets for people. Um, dietas, as they're called. Um, so, yeah, everybody, when you arrive, you go take a vomitivo in this place. They don't always do that in um, in places. And that's a... That is a bowl of a liquid that has asusenia, and um, I don't I don't remember what the other plant is. Uh, oh, uh, ohe and asu, uh, uh, asusenia, ohe, which I've dieted separately. And so you drink this giant coconut bowl of this wretched liquid, and you throw up for about 15 to 30 minutes, and you just get everything out of your system. But it's like the first thing you do, like drop your bags, you go over to the hut, you drink your vomitivo, and, and you're, you feel 
so so very much at home at that point. <laughs> and you have an immediate bonding experience with at least one other person who's sweating and rolling their eyes over a coconut bowl full of vomit juice. So, um, and I'm not, you know, I think that that's a big thing for people when they start thinking about ayahuasca. It's a big fear trigger. I think I can't do that. I might vomit or oh, I can't do with the nausea, this or that. And one of my teachers, um, who I won't refer to by name because some of them are in America and um, guard their yeah. anonymity just due to the legality. <clears throat> you know, his advice uh, constantly to people is like, you know, when you have a piece of nausea come up, uh, go get into it. Like, that's where the gold is. I mean, uh, you're not, our nausea is, um, is something unsettled. Uh, yeah. Usually, you know, sometimes it's a stomach bug, but mostly it's it's uh, some kind of emotional or spiritual unprocessed grief or trauma. So, and I'm no stranger to that, and kind of dig on that. Not I don't have a, a, a vomit disorder, but um, so I kind of dug that. I'm like, yeah, man, give me that bowl of vomit, vomitivo. I'm into this. I'm like, kind yeah, of like, yeah, you were you were ready to you were ready I mean, to lean in. I did, yeah. I was definitely ready to lean in, and the purging is not all the time. You don't always purge uh, during ceremony. It's not like a foregone conclusion. Um, and um, I enjoy it when it happens. It's definitely, definitely far enough along to see like the the cadence of of something coming up and how it translates into nausea, and then what an opportunity that is to like uh, to get into it and to look at it. But it's fascinating to really think about that mechanism of yeah nausea shine away from something i don't want to you know it's a, it's a it's a very natural response in a way to protect the to protect the psyche from whatever that is but healing is not um is in a strange way not natural you know it's like we have to cut against for the for the mental psychic things our body knows how to heal itself it's good and there's something about our consciousness that we have to bring our attention to, to like get it back on track to be able to perform these tasks. It's not, it doesn't happen without uh, our, our self-intervention to a way. It's strange. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, how, how we heal and reframing what we consider symptoms as part of the healing process and not to be scared of them, but actually to welcome them, not to suppress them, but actually to encourage them. 100%. And we do this with, with children and fevers is a great example that we see the fever as something scary and it kid hits 103 and a lot of parents will give them medication to, um, to suppress that fever. And now finally, well, this has been around, but we're sort of remembering that this is just part of the growing experience. And in fact, every child before the age of three should have X number of fevers as part of that growing process right. that we should welcome it. And so uh, I love that you weave in now nausea, that feeling of nausea and purging and vomiting as part of something that might actually be beneficial. Right. I mean, I think, it, and I think that opens the door to the entirety of illness mental illness, whatever illness as a, as an idea, uh, or as a reality that, um, um, it's a necessity. So it's our relationship mm. to it rather than bemoaning that it's happening or that it's tragic. Uh, not really. I mean, it's an opportunity. That's why every, any, anytime anybody says, tells me they got divorced or break up, I'm like, congratulations. That's, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. Thank goodness, got yeah. that over with. You know, it's the same with illness or facing something like, um, 
we have to walk into it. I think that the where I've been recently, just because of my own life and, and but in general looking at it, what the difficulty for me begins more about the community that the the types of communities that we typically have here in this country and Western culture that are um, completely, almost completely unable to deal with it. Uh, there is no, there are no tried and true mechanisms or, or, or social contracts that deal with um, illness and trouble in a way that, that is more beneficial. I mean, obviously there's lots of wonderful things about modernity and, 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 and Western medicine that are useful, but the concept of a community having some kind of commitment to each individual's wellness or any kind of responsibility to one another to, oh, this, somebody's going off the rails, so let's circle up around them, you know? Right. Let's circle up around them and stick with them until they're okay. Now, that's, that is a, that is an ancient village custom in many, many places in the world. And it's been completely, uh, it's just been dismantled here. It just mm -hmm. doesn't happen. And that, you know, I, I have lots of debates with people on this and there's definitely certain, certain manifestations of mental illness or trouble. Addiction's a big one in our culture that, um, that is a, it's a, it's a, it's a polarizer and it's a balkanizer and people just head for the hills and for good reason. It's very, it's a very difficult material to deal with and people act in a way that is repulsive. And, um, you know, and I mean that in just a, you know, a, a magnetic sense. Yeah. And, um, but I don't think that the solutions any different than what it used to be, which is that there has to be enough bandwidth for a community to, identify that the pain that the pain of an individual and in a you know whatever that even means and you know my sense of what an individual has been completely eroded by medicine um there is an aspect to our 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 lives that's individual but there's a there's a there's a far larger iceberg under the water that is a communal experience um and even in our consciousness there's much more shared than is separate um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's a big piece that, and I'm not saying that ayahuasca centers are great at this either. They're not necessarily, <laughs> there's a lot of like solo <laughs> suffering on the mat yeah. and people don't necessarily, and a lot of them are coming from the West and they don't have a, they don't have a sense of it either. The Shipibo communities themselves, though holding a great sense of ancient knowledge, um, are pretty misogynistic, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we're talking about Amazon Chongo communities, these are not, you know, progressive social organizations. So uh, it's not, I'm not presenting that those centers or even those cultures are, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, progressive in terms of healing, but there are elements to their technology and their ancient technology that's useful. But I'm trying to really get my head around how to, how to conduct myself um, with that in mind that the 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 act of circling up around the sick person can be done better than it is now in this in in this iteration of our civilization just it bothers me probably because i've been the guy at the center enough and like not like where is everybody in the circle what happened it's my fault that they're not circling up and there's like a whole right. thing that falls from that but i've 
it's coming into focus for me in my life and for the next patch of my life that I'd prefer to stay on that track and figure out how we can develop tools that make it easier for people to stay in circle around these difficult things and how there can be dialogue around the fear that that comes up from it because it doesn't affect just sick individuals in a community. It's the, it's at the center of it is the, is our global problems, national problems, um, war. I mean, all of it comes from our inability to kind of peacefully circle up and settle our differences um, or at least air identifying air the difficulty in a better way than than we know how to do and we're certainly not taught it as kids not in this not in this culture at least i wasn't i don't know about you guys uh, amen i mean i think our culture is at a, a deep level adverse to any sort of discomfort right we are, we are masters of distraction and entertainment and pleasure and niceties and manners and i keep flashing back to you saying like the opera the opera like is just like this like grand presentation right where it's like the props and the lights and the stage and the high ticket price and like right. the the very uh the very pink of civilization as as shakespeare you know it's just like just like the top of the top like the pomp and circumstance and then they've got like suicide and daggers and and all like the mess of of that deep turmoil that human beings experience especially in a culture that is so as we always say on this podcast in like the quinian sense like just against the grain right. and so basically wherever you point your stick we're against the grain we're doing it quote unquote wrong and i love that you've in your exploration and i i respect the fact that it's this is like a journey you haven't like necessarily even arrived at any place nope. but what it's what i'm hearing you say now is that this ability to circle up around someone who's struggling is that's that's what we need to foster and build upon and just say out loud because it doesn't seem to happen on its own and it makes me realize a lot of why you are so passionate about the music venue and bringing people around bringing community building community through music and that is something i have adopted in my life as a musician as a festival presenter it's a wonderful place to start. Um, if nothing else, it brings people together. There's a festival locally um, that is pay what you want, as is our festival, the O Positive Festival. And in the early days, they had all these highfalutin ideas, which many of which they've executed. Um, healing workshops and free healthcare services, and that, that was their model, bartering uh, art for medicine. Hmm. Um, a beautiful model. It's gone a little off the rails because of current events, in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I remember asking one of the founders, like, you know, how do you attract all these people where you guys are trying to do so much? And he's like, well, it's all music is the magnet. Like it's all anything you're trying to do, a lecture series or this, that or the other thing. Music is the thing that sells the tickets, gets people in the door. And once you have them, then you can play, then you can invent, then you can try anything your mind can think of, but music is sort of the key. Yep. And it seems like that's something you've stumbled upon as well. Well, yeah, and I think that I, I'm constantly marveled. I, I marvel at how similar, you know, when I've spent time at some of these centers and some of my other, uh, some other people's center in, in Mexico and 
the similarities between ayahuasca ceremonies and just a night in the music club. It's like, it's not that different. You're drinking, uh, you're drinking a fermented juice. <laughs> there's people there. Uh, there is a, there is a communal experience that has significance. You know, it's sort of light. It's ceremony light every night, which is good because it's going to be more accessible to more people yeah. uh, and less traumatic hopefully <laughs> so there's a pretty you know there's occasionally traumatic night in the nightclub um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, in the music club but <laughs> there's something very basic about the process of gathering together at the end of the day telling stories drinking a mind-altering fermented beverage of some of some uh, of some strength some plant origin yeah of some right. some some you know harvested, yeah. Mind technology from the natural world. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about, I was going to hop back to this in a second. And so there's something very ancient about that, very useful and uh, very grounding for people. I'm not, why? I mean, we could, there, there are probably many reasons and there's probably even biochemical and neurological reasons it's useful. But the fact is it's worked for a long time and uh, uh, it's, you know, it's endangered. It's an endangered experience hmm. at this point, which is why we started the venue and mm -hmm. why many people are motivated to keep doing it just because it's the necessity of it being in the world. Yeah. Even beyond personal expression, it's like, this has to stay. I was, um, you know, like if, if another, we, and we kept the club open pretty much through all of COVID. We, we shut a little bit and did some streaming stuff and some fundraiser stuff and to go and all that crap early on. But right. I, for instance, I wouldn't, I will never close it again. Right. I don't care what happens yeah. um, uh, to, to leech the ability for people to have that nightly ceremony of gathering to decompress and to gain the effects of whatever it is that, that live music gives to us or that exchange of story and sound at the end of the day. It's so critical to our experience. It was so clear what happened when it was taken away from everybody for a little while and the madness that we're still dealing with as a result of two years of that malnutrition, mm. which I'm not sure we will bounce from. But um, yeah, mm. I wouldn't close again. I mean, they're going to have to come and they're going to have to come and lock my doors. And I always have visions like, ah, it's, when the world falls apart, I'm going to have like a peg leg and a patch. And the, <laughs> I'll still be in the venue and it'll be like more like a trading post in a venue. Be like, ah, leave your weapons outside. This is a peaceful place. Music, trading, bring your goods. Somehow I'm, yes. somehow then I'm, you know, English. Uh, yeah. Well, it's your buddy Steve wearing off on you. Or, oh, Steve. Yeah. Steve, the Manchester thug, Amazing. the ayahuasca center. Well, I, I'm glad that you brought Steve up, Mike, because I don't want to leave the, the listener hanging here right. on I, the experience. But first, before we get there, I do <laughs> I do love the the reframing of community and this idea of circling up, particularly around those in the community who are suffering. And if you think of the community really as just one organism and you are a part of that organism and the individual suffering or the individual suffering are like, for example a finger on your hand that is giving you problems. You don't cut that finger off and let it go. And well, you do them... here. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But that is exactly that. That is, that is how we treat the organism. That is the community. And what you're saying is, no, we would give that ailing finger, all of our attention and love and care until it stopped ailing so that the entire organism can continue right. on. 
Um, also, what I, I but and I've been I've been picking this apart recently a great deal uh, over the last few years, mostly for personal reasons and dissatisfaction with um, elements of my own healing and 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 complications in my own circle as I heal and change and, and falter and this and that. But there's it's not just that oh poor per sick person that's that's supposed to get the care that they want. The people that have to endure someone's illness. Um, are also getting sick at a certain degree. A lot of this shit is contagious uh, or it triggers them in such a way and it brings their own problems to the surface. It's just the nature of healing. Like you can't be in a room with somebody who's struggling with their healing and not ask yourselves those questions. So not having the circle not only denies the quote-unquote patient person uh, what they might need to heal, even maybe more importantly, it denies the group yeah, a chance to heal themselves and to metabolize what's happening and maybe even make a plan for the next time it happens, you know, to say, yeah. oh, well, wait a minute. All right. So we saw this and we saw this happen and dealing with an open clinical loving mind. And uh, instead of it's just a, it's a container that might help make this kind of crap easier instead of just everybody floundering alone. I mean, those are all, everybody has the same complaints in dealing with death medical illness, mental illness, is a sense of increasing isolation that comes for everybody involved. It's the one hallmark of everybody dealing with it. And mm. basically in this country, we have either, either you're a member of a church, which is its own problems. Um, no, that's it. Or, you know, what AA, something like that, a self-help group, which also have a great deal of problems. And there's just no, there's very little, there's not enough work done in to codify vocabulary, ground rules, how we do it um, that isn't tied to either the pathos and sickness of a religion, which carry a lot of baggage um, or even anything that comes out of the Western mindset. And before, before I hop back to Steve, the psycho um, thug, I think that <laughs> anybody who's interested in this um, in general, obviously it can be gotten into for very different reasons. But the first, the first thing for me that was really important, even before I drank, and a great book to read, if you haven't read it, is to read Rupert Sheldrake's uh, The Science Delusion, or Science Set Free, it's called here in England, it's called Science Delusion. And uh, he's a genius. If you've never read Sheldrake, just read everything you can of his. And um, he just really uh, has, a, that book is a wonderful uh, exercise in decoupling the mind from the materialist worldview of that has that has infected basically all of modern culture. Obviously, there's still some holdouts in religious circles, and that does number to the billions of people, but it's hard to underestimate how far Descartian materialist and dualistic philosophy has infected all of our lives and all of our understanding of ourselves. And we're just starting to unpack it, the idea that man is a machine, the humans are a machine, that the body is a machine that it's a mindless lump of, you know, animated muck right. has gotten into everything. And, uh, you know, it's challenged occasionally by those who have faith, but the mechanics of our world are the, the physical mechanics of the modern world and everything that's been built are all governed by this idea. And it's a horrible idea <laughs> developed by very, very sick people. I mean, Descartes for all of his, for all of his um, interesting ideas was a psychopath who would kick dogs and vivisect animals. And like the hallmark of being part of Descartes crew 
was that you would beat animals cruelly because they were bags of mindless, autonomous muck, you know? So for me, I mean, that was something that I was playing with before I, I got into playing medicine. But the moment that they sort of explained to me when I got down there that the plants are intelligent, and, you know, they sort of present their eschatology when you start getting into plant medicine or your first drink. And they're like, well, the plants are intelligent and it's a plant sentency. And I go, yeah, 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 I know. I know. All that. <laughs> and, then, and then, but once I began to experience it and I let it in, then my entire world turned upside down but in, a, in a very good way. And I said, so, well, wait a minute. Let me, let me operate as if this is correct. <laughs> and all of this, this entire world of, of, of flora is is it has it has a has an intelligence that I can't even conceive of. It's older than us. It supports our lives. It's been here longer. It's connected physically. You know, it is a network of some kind. Like my so that book helps kind of begin to dissolve the hubris of the human mind, saying it's the pinnacle of anything, and it may be the pinnacle of something, but it's very foolish for us to assume that the rest of the world. The entire planet plus creation is devoid of intelligence. It's a ridiculous, really, when you unpack it, it's a stupid idea. Yeah. Um, so once I got exposed to that idea by them, and then I began to, and it's even less ayahuasca itself, which is a very interesting experience to ingest it into being ceremony. It's the other diets, which we can get into, and the other master plant diets that you do in the training that are really mind blowing, uh, or they were to me like, well, wait a minute, this is something is communicating to me from this plant that I've ingested. It's not psychoactive in that sense. And like, oh, wait a minute. So it's, it's really interesting to me. this is where the, the, the stuff gets fascinating, um, from my perspective. Uh, we, we tried to get Rupert on the podcast. Um, I actually reached out to him, uh, and his people directly and, he wrote back I'm in touch with that, Rupert. I'm supposed to finish a video project for him for two years that I haven't done. It's one of the, I carry it very heavily every day. So right when I started my training, I was in touch with him and I pitched him. I'd say, let me do one of your uh, steps. You know, one of the, one of the lessons from, is he's got these small little clips <coughs> online. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> this coughing is not the water. It's my charge with myself over not completing Rupert Sheldrake's video project. Mm. <laughs> um, Take so I, I reached out to him. I said, look, you don't know me, whatever. I'm a filmmaker, entrepreneur. And I said, I just, how can I help? Yeah. And he kind of very, you know, he brought me back saying, well, let's start small. And he was right because I haven't finished that piece. But um, he's very nice, very sweet man. How, how old is he? He's 80, I think now. Yeah, he's, he's born at 42. Right. Okay. Because his name comes up pretty often and so continue. He, yeah. I mean, they need to give him the keys to the to the to the <laughs> safe and just like let him go because he's um he's in my judgment probably the, the most integrative mind yeah. writing and publishing his work that I can find. Yeah. The Veda we had Veda Austin on. She's done a lot of work on water and water consciousness, I, water I intelligence. To that. Yeah. And and I loved this idea of plant intelligence. I like tying it back to the water. And right. that water has been manifested in every aspect of our existence, every aspect of life on the planet water has touched. And it stands to reason that 
the water that's in a plant has it's all of it. It's all it's all consciousness. So therefore, it must be intelligent. Yeah, and I think even I mean, when I get really deep on the medicine, I think that there's an awareness even beyond well, the plants are individually intelligent, and what is what is the manifestation of an individual intelligence either in a plant and that's the weird thing it's when you're doing uh, master plant diets or even ayahuasca really any natural plant medicine that you're having a contiguous experience psychically between ingesting one mushroom and another or one batch of ayahuasca and another and there's still some kind of through line so is sentinency even you know, we have a we have an increased. We seem to have an increased sense of of sentency being an individual manifestation. You know, um, the you know the prism for us doesn't even seem like a prism very much. It's just a you know a solo transmission hub. But uh, I think that that's an illusion, uh, and it must have some purpose. Uh, and I hope it's the purpose is not, you know, immediate self-destruction, which seems to be, <laughs> you know, the, the imminent, the imminent concern. But, um, should we go back to Steve? Let's get back to that story. Yeah. You had the vomitivo <laughs> bonding over the vomitivo. You haven't so even you, taken the ayahuasca yet. Let's go. No. Uh, so you bond over the vomitivo at a certain point you meet, uh, very briefly <laughs> with the, with the maestro who really didn't look at you the first time, like. They don't want to look at you. They don't want to see you. They're not there to um, babysit you or anything else. It's and it's a clinic, you know. So, so you hand them, you know, you tell your story. You better hand your money first, mm-hmm. and they kind of go, "All right, you can do it." I mean, it's you know, ayahuasca. They'll say that, or maybe they'll assign you a master plan if that's what you're there to do. Mm. But you know, he's got a big Rolex, and so then Steve, Steve the thug's like, oh, "I know this guy." Look at that fucking watch, man. I know what he's up to. <laughs> and we're just sitting there laughing. And, you know, I mean, he's not hes not denigrating, but it's like there's a certain, there's and a these vibe. people have very little in the middle of the jungle. And these people have carved out uh, yeah. something that's um, working, you know? So whatever. He, and apparently, the Rolex actually ended up, I think, was a gift from somebody, but it was funny because we're sitting there yeah. like, all right, look at this guy. This watch. He's not even fucking looking at me. And then, you know, a lot of the people came. And I've had, I've done enough work and I'm guru proof enough at this point that like, I didn't, you know, a lot of people are offended by that. They get down there and they expect to have some kind of special care for their plight, you know, given to them. And I'm guilty of that too, to a certain degree, but I I didn't take it personal at that point. And everybody wants to, um, everybody wants to be cared for, you know, but it's not that kind of Well, they are, but it's by the plant. It's not by the guy right. giving them the drink. Right, exactly. And um, and that's also cultural. I mean, the Shipibas are just not, you know, a bunch of Westerners coming down from you know far away. They're not going to they're not going to necessarily extend themselves in the in the in the way that people might want uh, from your average sort of crunchy you know yoga instructor or yeah. or wellness practitioner. Yeah, what's clear is you're you're not checking into a spa. No, something very different. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder, I mean, I think it's nice when I've looked at some of the other centers, the amount of amenity that they have, but I kind of wonder, and not that I've spent that much time in the super Spartan environment. A lot of the people that I've trained with have spent many, many years down there and I've not done that, but there's an advantage to the, to the lack of amenity. Uh, cause there's, there's, it's comforting. It's nice, but there's a distraction element to it. 
So that first day you go, you meet, you're signed, whether you're going to get poured ayahuasca or not, you um, <laughs> fritter around for a while, and then you end up in a giant maloka, which is basically the temple room, uh, which are always round, uh, round, giant round buildings, beautiful construction. The fact they've got a you know, 40, 50 foot uh, building uh, with no internal, you know, no internal supports. supports. Yeah. It's all just spider web ceiling. It's amazing. Yeah. And um, it's funny, they, the little guy they send up, and they don't even have ladders. It's two sticks, two long sticks that go up, and he kind of shuttles up both of them. There's not even there's not even rungs. I guess that's how it works. It works best for them. Um, and he's called Chongo, which means little monkey. Like, get up there, Chongo. Chongo, go. <laughs> um, to do the repairs in the top. So then you're poured, you're poured some, you go, you lay in your mat, um, you're instructed to stay in your own lane and stay out of people's business next to you. And um, pretty unceremoniously start ceremony and uh, they, <laughs> they pour you the drink, which is tough to get down. Uh, it depends on where you get the medicine. The Peruvian medicine is pretty hard to drink, uh, I find. Um and it gets worse the longer you're like you're on a long diet, like a few weeks into it. It's like, oh my god, how am I going to keep this stuff down? Um, and some medicine made in different parts of the, the world or tastes better. There's a medicine from like uh, South Pacific that's really tasty and sweet. Um, and then the experience unfolds. Not a, a lot of people don't even have an ex, uh, have an experience the first night. Uh, I got she was ayahuasca was very clear with me right away. Boom, right in. Uh, big transmissions from the get go. Never been any other way. Uh, so she's got me on some kind of emergency fast track <laughs> to make sure you know I don't spin off the world. So it's been very um, it's been very vivid experience for me from the get go. But there in the center first night you have. You know, whatever experience you have, it usually lasts about two or three hours. Uh, they close the ceremony at a certain point. You get a, you get a, the, the, the curanderos open it. There's a whole process of opening the ceremony of centering the space, cleaning the space, um, centering their own medicine. You know, a lot of, uh, now that I've learned a little bit more about it, a lot of the work is really just pe the, the practitioners centering themselves. Mm. And calling their own, centering and cleaning their own medicine, and then the process sort of unfolds from there. It's not, it's not necessarily um, as uh, as outward bound. There's a lot of internal work that goes into it, even during the singing of the ikros. You're cleaning yourself. You're cleaning your own medicine. You're straightening it, cleaning, cutting away, uh, and they're all basic. The verbs of shapibo are very. The verbs that you use in the ecos are really fairly repetitive. It's clean, straighten, protect, um, sweep, cut, burn, bury. You know, it's very kind of elemental. Um, they're elemental commands and 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 inquiries and, and entreaties that are being made of the medicine. Um. You know, you have the experience you have. It lasts till, you know, 11 o'clock midnight. You can stay on your mat. You roll around outside in the dirt if you want. Um, you end up going back to your mat. You usually don't sleep right away, or at least that wasn't my experience. Sleep becomes a little less important during ceremonial runs. Um, 
it's uh, I find it hard to sleep after ceremony and you end up falling asleep at some point. The you're, you're on a restrictive diet anyway, when you go down to one of these centers or you probably should be. And uh, that starts about 10 days beforehand. No caffeine, no sugar, no salt, no spices, no meat, no drugs, no sex, no sex with yourself. Um, no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, among a monk's life. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, it's interesting because that's, and one of my teachers talks about this that there's this um, assumption that that's virtuous in some way. Like we sort of have that, like, oh well, I'm virtuously fasting, or these are these are things that are indulgences. Yeah. And I really don't. That's not the judgment that comes up there in the in that practice, which is just like the medicine doesn't work as well. Yeah, it's just not as effective. It's not wrong to do these things necessarily, or indulgent even. It's just less effective. So there's a wonderful practicality to the Shipibo approach to medicine that has much less to do with virtue or extolling virtue or extolling the the negative space of not being virtuous. Just like, yeah, it works. This works better. Yeah. This doesn't. Salt makes your, and the biochemistry works out that salt, <clears throat> salt and oil affect the pineal gland. Uh, they make it harder for the, the um, um, you know, the psychoactive chemicals to work uh, biochemically and neurologically. So don't have them in the system. You know? mm. So, uh, that's taken a while for me to, and I'm still working on that. I'm like, actually, because I want to be a good student. Oh, I yeah. screwed up my diet. And yeah. it's, I'm not right. It's like, that's not, that's not the point. It's just going to be less effective. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure that the listener knows exactly what we're talking about when we do talk about ayahuasca. Mike and I, I think, had mentioned it way back in early, early conversations. Uh, but it's it's DMT. It's dimethyltryptamine. And, um, and harmaline. And yeah, and and the ayahuasca, the brew that you're drinking, is actually a combination of the ayahuasca vine and a shrub. And the reason that that's combined is because, uh, if taken alone, the ayahuasca vine that contains the DMT, you have an enzyme in your stomach that would break it down before it reached the brain. Sure. And this is what blows my mind when I first was reading about ayahuasca is that somewhere back along the line when they first started doing this, they've realized that including the shrub um, provides an enzyme inhibitor that prevents your body, your, your stomach from breaking down the DMT. So therefore it can reach your brain. So this is yeah, it's an th MOI inhibitor, but yeah. the, the, in the, the traditional story is actually that, um, so another, another hallmark of, of indigenous um, ayahuasca practice is the use of mapacho, which is a, 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 which is a Peruvian tobacco plant, nine times higher in nicotine than American tobacco. Um, and it's a very pure tobacco, and it's one of the um, – I mean, tobacco has been – part of spiritual currency and actual currency in cultures for a very, very long time. Um, and it is not American commercial cigarette tobacco is not particularly good for you. Um, however, the use of indigenous tobacco and pure tobacco is actually, it's just another medicine. It's a wonderful emetic. It, uh, it leaches toxins from your 
salivary glands, the use of the smoke. There is obviously in that in that practice a great deal of importance put on mapacho. It's blown on you in ceremony. You use it to settle the stomach. Sometimes you can use it to increase the rapidity of the purge. You can diet it itself as a master plant. And um, according to Shapiba lore, mapacho taught them how to make ayahuasca. Mm. That during the mapacho contact with the mapacho spirit, they said, oh, by the way, go take this and this and cook it up. And there you go. Which I think we just need to respect for a second. Like, let that sit and respect for a second. This was one plant teaching the people how to combine two other plants and then have this incredible, like, Madre Ayahuasca, you know, ultimate grandmother plant medicine. Right. Yeah. Well, that's something incredible. else. Was it, mapacho? Whether- was it mapacho that taught them or was it the mapacho man? It was mapacho. I mean, I, they, you know, it's sort of the way that they don't, uh, from what I can tell, they don't differentiate it the way like the Greeks didn't believe there was a god of the wheat. They believed the wheat was the god. Mm. Like they didn't differentiate entity from the physical world as much as we do now. So it's, it's not an abstraction. Like the mapacho is the spirit. Like there's no, not a spirit in it. It is it. That's what it is. Like there's a simpler less fractured, uh, from what I can tell, uh, you know, less fractured experience of it. Um, and I enjoy mapacho. <clears throat> You're not supposed to inhale it. I of course do, because <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, you know, masochist. Um, and, but the mapacho is very powerful, has its own very powerful healing qualities and is used a great deal by the practitioners. But yeah, that's their origin story for ayahuasca. But of the 800,000 plants, you know, in the Amazon, it's pretty amazing that they, whether or not it's, and I think that's something overarching with my experience of the medicine. It doesn't really matter whether it's a, it's a metaphor or not. It doesn't matter anymore. I, I've chosen to read all ancient religious texts as news instead of fable. Yeah. So I wasn't there. I don't know. Does it serve me to analyze? Well, these people made a metaphor out of something they saw. It's like, well, I know, man, I wasn't there. So they, somebody had an experience with it. It taught them something and it brought something good into the world. End of story. Like it doesn't, doesn't actually serve me to dissect everything anymore in the way that mm-hmm. I used to. Um, material, like in the, in the vein of materialist science to look for sort of like root. Uh, atomic causes of anything um, that are mechanical is not doesn't make me happier to figure it out. It doesn't make me more <laughs> balanced. Kind of drives me nuts. So be so, done with it. Nick, let's go back to that that first night. Say three to four hours. You're sort of deep in this experience. Can you can you talk us through a little bit what you what you saw, what you experienced, maybe some of the work that was done? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I, my first evening was pretty strong, um, and I drank a fairly full cup. There, they just sort of tell you how much you're drinking, and you're served what they give you, and love it or leave it. And they're also like, you typically drink sometimes more than once a night. There's, a, there's an initial round, and then maybe you get another round later. I find the ones, the... the, the other ceremonies I've done recently over the last few years around here uh, in America, clandestinely, potentially, uh, that I've done them here in the country. You know, there's a little bit more agency uh, for, 
we talk to people about, oh, you, how much do you want? What do you feel? Yeah. They don't ask you that in Peru, or at least they didn't ask me that. They just told drink this. Um, the majority of my first experience was sort of cosmic and galactic, uh, uh, just resetting the stage for my understanding of where the planet is in the, in the, in the cosmic scheme and that I'm part of it. It was sort of an inclusive energy mm. to kind of call me into the, the meta structure that we all live in. Uh, there was a, I was aware of certain images of dark towers and light and photon activity. It was not particularly, um, there wasn't a particular amount of enlightenment from mine. I was also in a very dark place. I mean, one does find, if you're struggling with dark things, yeah, your ceremony might be a little dark. I mean, it stands to reason. Uh, and a lot of my in and out with it has been about, there's so much cleaning. Like it's all, most of the action and activities that the Curanderos are doing, Ayahuascaros is cleaning, clean, 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 straighten, protect, clean, strengthen, straighten, protect again and again and again and again. Um, so it's just a vast spiritual detoxification that's occurring and physical detoxification. So I didn't really have much the first night. My, my first, my first set of, of ceremonies down there mostly culminated in, um, my time down there and then leaving abruptly, uh, because of COVID, it was very personal. It's like I quit smoking at the time I started later, but like I, 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 I've been a cigarette smoker for 35 years. And the last, the last ceremony that I had there, she's like, all right, ayahuasca tells me, go to, go to your hut, throw your cigarettes in the toilet, so I, which was a bucket, you know, so I just dump them on. I'm like, all right, I'm done. It was that easy. Um, and then she told me to go uh, propose to my wife when I got home. She's like, all right, you're going to go home? You're going to ask that woman to marry you? I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then she held me to test. She was like, well, when? And I said, well, I don't know, like uh, soon? She said, no, 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 no. You go, when? Tell me exactly when and where you're going to do it when you go home. Hmm. And it wasn't until I told her place, time, which I then eventually when it did. She's like, all right, that's good enough. Good. Because then third, you're out of here tomorrow. Go get on a plane. Change your ticket. Get out. Hmm. Some, some bad's happening. So my experience first, and it's been pretty consistent, and it's very different for everybody. Even a lot of the uh, a lot of the practitioners don't have visions necessarily. It's like a wide range of experience uh, for different people. Sometimes the experience is more visceral, emotional. I am particularly uh, visual. Um, I think, or at least that's what's been shared with me people are like oh, i mean people, practitioners like i don't see anything i just feel what has to happen but i have a very visual experience which makes sense I'm kind of a visual person um and it, other than like knowing you know it's very specific things i had many things going back into childhood um many you know time becomes uh up for grabs to a certain degree uh i find uh, time has been a major topic of the content of my ceremonies uh not only traveling in it uh whether that's just memory or whether there's some like minimum it's memory next level would be contacting 
things that are stored physically in the body, like trauma experiences that in a way the body is a time machine. Like we do have time machines. It's called our body. <laughs> you know, it's like we travel through time in this thing. Uh, do we have control of where we go? Meh, maybe, maybe more than we think. Maybe it's not, you know, Malcolm McDowell in a, in a hat, you know, or Chris Reeve and going back and riding a horse, you know, uh, in, in, in Elizabethan times, whatever that horrible time after, you know, was it time after time, some horrible movie from the eighties, but this, but all of that Disney bullshit aside, time is stored in our body. Our experiences are stored in our body. Trauma and joyful things are locked in our, and that's born up in Chinese medicine it's born up in modern medicine. So in a way, it's changed my idea to understand that, you know, my body is a time machine of kind. It certainly bears the marks of time on it. It is how I travel through my life. And I do have access to the past uh, to a certain degree uh, in as much of the things that have not, you know, some are joyful, but mostly it's like, oh, trauma stores in the body. It doesn't, the body, what's the book of uh, body to keeps the score? great book all of somatic therapy is based on the concept that our bodies are storage machines you know for for our experiences for good or ill um but there does seem to be a trend that negative experiences are stored with greater <laughs> with greater security you know and really <laughs> held on to by the body mm. than uh, the positive ones which is interesting it's an interesting i don't even know what to make of that so there was a lot of that in my first set of ceremonies it's sort of harder for me to split out um, each individual chunk of those first ceremonies. I have more vivid actual memories of, of different ones for different reasons over the course of um, my experience drinking so far. Um, and it was an odd fork in the road in so many ways. I mean, I don't know the world. Of, I don't know the COVID world without medicine. Uh, which I wonder sometimes how that's, I mean, it gave me a wonderful sense of positivity when the pandemic hit. I was like, well, oh, pandemic, no problem. I'm drinking ayahuasca. I don't care. I'm like, you know, it was, I was suddenly hooked into a very different um, experience of the world that was long overdue and, and trying to cultivate. So it worked for me. It worked out just fine. Um, and I think that even though there've been a lot of ups and downs, because there's sort of a bloom of, oh, this is amazing, and I'm drinking ayahuasca, and things are good. And then the training to do it begins, and that's and then everything gets really hard again because to, from what I understand, from what they've explained to me, and they haven't explained much, um, uh, you know, if I'm going to practice it, then I really need to burn all this shit out of myself. Like I really, really have to. And so everything that I've dealt with um, – mental health spiritual health wise is like this this is not a peaceful process to cleanse my instrument of the darker energies that that have you know affected my life like i have to be very very thorough and it's heavy lifting and it's not fun and um you know i think some people get into so oh, this is great i can hang on the jungle and practice it's gonna be groovy and you know light and love and like it's not my experience at all it's a fucking street fight yeah um spiritual street fight and there's blood in the gutters in my experience so that's um you know i don't i think i jumped over a bunch of that first experience um 
in the jungle. You know, you're not supposed to touch anybody. You're not supposed to touch each other. Uh, you know, there's no physical contact. You're not supposed to do that when dieting uh, also, which is interesting. Like, no, I think maybe once when you came for, you're like, hey, I'm not, it's real weird operating a venue and people are like, hey, man, sticking out their hand. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not touching people. Right. And everybody's like, man, this guy's nuts. Right. <laughs> so I just stopped really even explaining it after the first few diets. I just sort of like stay away and wave. Hey, how are yeah. you? Yeah. So this is, so there's obviously like, the isolated experience you go to the jungle you have this sort of pro how many days was the first trip 10 10 right and then you got the message you came back home it's like the last two years in and of themselves or has it been three what the fuck we're october 2022 yeah, coming up on 2023 it's like it's really wild that the world has been on this fucking roller coaster for lack of a better term and you've been on your own sort of like just and so how does that parlay? You've been back to the jungle how many times since that first time? Um, mostly to uh, Mexico where some uh, some colleagues have a place uh, deep in the Yucatan jungle because it's much easier to get to yeah. and just travel with stuff. So I ended up connecting with these uh, a different set of people, which was very interesting and a big learning process and also not easy. Um, so all, overarching, I've done, uh, I've dieted six plants for a total of about seven months the and again they're a little vague on it but you have to diet at least two years um two years of dieting and there's some constrictions of you have to have at least a six-month diet of one thing and maybe a year-long diet of another it's unclear to me that like i said there's no like there's no chart but when you say diet so there's obviously the ingesting of the plant but then there's this longer arc um protocol for what we traditionally mean by diet, like right. what diet you are living on. Can you talk about that a little bit sure. more? Sure. Um, it's the same restrictive diet if you're just going down for a few days, but it's more prolonged and there's, it's a little bit, you know, it's definitely strict. Now in the jungle down there in Peru, basically you're eating fish and plantains. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, as a, there's a side topic too that also interests me. So you're, you're you're on this very restrictive diet, oats maybe, oats or not. So there's a very uh, bland potatoes. It's an extremely bland diet, um, and you are in, you ingest a master plant, which they assign you, and the, the maestro says, "Oh, you're going to diet this." And they have physical properties that oh, it's good for the liver, heart, whatever different ones, and it also has a discrete energy and personality. Yeah. So you're when you diet. You clean out the system, however, a week, 10 days before, and you begin your diet, and it's open. The diet is open by the practitioner, which is something I do not understand uh, deeply. I know what they say, and they're, they're, they're opening it. Uh, they're opening. You, you ingest the plant for the first time, and you don't really, let's say you're doing a month-long diet. You don't drink. You don't ingest this other plant the entire time. You ingest it for a period of time at the beginning, and you let it settle in, and you continue dieting. And then you ingest it a little bit right at the end to kind of lock it in. And they and the and the the curandero uh, or ayahuasca opens the diet and then closes it at the end with a series of ikaros and whatever they're doing. <laughs> it's been explained to me, but it's definitely over my pay grade. Um, and there's a lot of things that apparently go into this. There's a relationship built between the uh, the maestro and the and the and the dieter. 
they're holding the diet for you. So depending on how clean your diet is and how clean your experience is, they're going to be affected by it and then vice versa. Wherever the, the, the practitioner's at, if they're all fucked up or in a bad place, your diet might be fucked up too, which I've had the experience of, um, uh, which was not pleasant. Um, so you, however long the diet is, from what I understand, you're, you're hopefully in isolation or in a, you're on a restrictive diet. You're drinking ayahuasca at least a few times a week, but it's less of like when people are going down for a week or two, it's, you know, it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. When you're in isolation, you're in a tombow, which is a small hut or removed location. You're, you're drinking sometimes you're not drinking others. Often with, when I was dieting in the jungle, I would drink by myself, you know, which I started pretty right away, which was an interesting, uh, experience but i would center the ceremony with recordings from the maestros and then eventually i felt it was she was clear to me like all right you can start singing you can start participating in the ikaros and and see where that takes you but even still i'll center it with the maestros work and then close it sometimes i'll close it myself but so that's been an uh, an ongoing evolution with you know no idea how to do it or no guidance and even when i ask it's like eh, what do you think how does it feel what does she tell you? So, all right, well, we'll figure it out. So there's definitely a, there's definitely like a, a skydiving vertigo experience to it. And it might be different from someone else. And I'm sure it's different for someone who just goes to the jungle and stays there. So I've done a little bit of a modified situation due to having the barn, yeah. having, uh, you know, a marriage and a yeah. life and a family and a sick mother through a chunk of it. Yeah. So I would do something called social dieting, um, where you are able, if they'll agree to it, to bring your diet back to the world. So you go open it there, you lock it in for some period of time, and then you can come back to the world. You keep up your physical, you, you keep up the, the food dieta portion, which is an extreme challenge here um, in the in the U.S., as everybody knows who deals with any kind of restrictive diet or, or health diet, that it's hard to get healthy food. And it's even harder to find food that's completely devoid of flavor. Because <laughs> everything, you know, you can have no nutrition, but it's like a flavor bonanza. So like <laughs> trying to find bland shit here is actually harder than you think. Wow. Um, and, <laughs> and, I, and you're still supposed to not touch people. You're really supposed to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And you're supposed to try to stay away from people as much as possible. So, and you run a yeah, social I mean, gathering spot, and, you know. And I've had restaurant. Yeah. I've actually, had, actually sounds a lot like uh, COVID restrictions, right? <laughs> so there, you know, it was interesting that that fell into place at the same time, and uh, so I had a natural boost from that. But it's, uh, you know, I've had this discussion with some of my instructors. It's like, man, you're like, that's impossible what you're doing yeah. to keep your diet clean, right? And you know, I've had some success with it. A lot of the diets I come back and say, no, it's pretty clean. It's, you're all right. And I think that's part of like my Achilles heel emotionally and spiritually is not that environment. Like, um, uh, I don't drink alcohol, you know, in the bar. I don't, I don't drink anymore at all really these days for a while. And, um, uh, and I don't really get crazy in my in the environment of the, of the business is like, I'm, I'm in a good harmony. I'm sort of like the therapist that, you know, I'm just, I'm centered yep. in that environment. Mostly my, my problems are elsewhere, you know? 
So like actually when I'm on the floor and, you know, dealing with people, it's like a, I'm in a good harmonious feeling. So, and I don't get dirty with other people's crap yeah. at work. Um, it's elsewhere. So, I mean, that, that I was surprised and it's also incredibly difficult. I mean, to be in a, the dieting piece that's, that has been hardest for me is, is people. I don't mind the food that much gets a little old, but whatever, it's just food. And there's so much else going on energetically that's opening up. The food's not much of a sacrifice. It's the energy of other people that becomes um, extremely difficult to tolerate. Hmm. And I think that's actually just a microcosm of what's happening all the time anyway. Yeah. I mean, hmm. we, we are not taught in this culture to, to question. Sometimes we just walk into a cloud of someone's garbage, you know? Yeah. And it's all over the world, the negative energy from the past or conflict in Ukraine. I mean, you give it whatever it is. Like we're, we're, there's a, a strange symptom of modern psychology that makes us take, uh, take responsibility for everything that goes on in our instrument uh, without questioning. It's like, well, is that even mine? And uh, if I'm in communion with somebody and they have something that's 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 complicated going on, like it might rub off on me. Like the, it doesn't make sense. It really makes no sense once you begin to question it that we are we are hermetically sealed units. It flies in the face of everything else that we do. So emotionally, the same thing. Like sometimes people's shit just gets on us, and there's very very little uh, teaching or structure in our culture to address that. So that's most of, you know, it's a large portion of what we deal with in that practice. It's like, oh, so-and-so's shatana got on you. Better get that off, you know, or this, a bad piece of medicine got on you, you know. Um, better clean it. Yeah. So that was the biggest challenge. That's been one of the larger challenges for me, splitting it and doing, a, I've probably done half and half, maybe a little bit more in the jungle, but I've done a few months of social diets here. I did a social diet we did a diet. Um, we opened a diet like the, a few days after my mother died last year. I was like, I was so, the grief was just really rough. The whole situation was rough. I was definitely fraying at the, at the edges. And um, uh, one of my teachers was like, yeah, let's, let's start a diet. I dieted a, a, a plant called Ajo Sacha, which is garlic, jungle garlic, fake garlic, I think it's called, uh, translated as. And um it's a powerful diet, but I was definitely distracted. The grief dirtied it, and I really had a, an interesting experience with that plant and um, a lot of forgiveness. And I should probably back up into the dieting experience a little bit before I talk about that. So you ingest this other plant. It's not psych psychoactive in a classic sense. My experience of it has been, you know, I drink it on the first day. Um I, I feel like I'm pretty sensitive to it. So I kind of get a little, oh, there's a little kick. But it's about four or five, six days in and something really different presents itself into, into your consciousness. And uh, then you're drinking and having ceremony at night. Typically, uh, it will present itself in some form or fashion um, by the end of the diet, if not earlier. My experience, and nobody will tell you what you'll see, like the people who've died before, the, I mean, there's obviously an understanding, like you don't say it, you don't say it uh, before somebody's seen it. And then you don't even like really go on about it. But the, the reality that I've experienced is that 
what presents itself to you at a certain point is a common experience. So other people that have dieted a specific plant, at some point you can compare notes or people get going like, oh, shit, that's what I saw too. And not only that, when you look at Shipibo art, and this is, again, just from the, from the Temple Idiots perspective, there, there's um, a, a, the basis of Shipibo art are these strange line drawings and line patterns that uh, they say are the energetic footprint of the plants. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, when, I, when I've dieted plants, eventually at some point, this pattern becomes present. Yeah. It becomes present during ceremony. And then I can go and say, wait a minute, I saw that pattern last night. They're like, that's right. That's Pino Blanco or that's this plant or this. So there's all of these communal, and that's just the tip of the iceberg in my experience of like communal things that happen during ceremony that really are the hub of, of, of beginning to question what exactly is going on. Yeah. This is not a hallucination if two people have it. Right. It's immediately has to be reclassified into some kind of a common experience, whether it's delusional or not, doesn't matter. But the, from that flow, a lot of questions like, well, what is, what on earth is transmitting stimulus to two separate minds that's experienced as, as a common, you know, a common, identifiable, communicable thing? It's a very interesting. I mean, I think that's where suddenly we we depart from a material <laughs> we're forced to depart from a materialist explanation for what's going on or a brain chemistry explanation into something else it's all right this is a shared experience and what does that mean and i don't know but i'm glad you brought that up because when you were recounting your first experience the towers the lights the sort of connectiveness is exactly what i experienced on my one and only ayahuasca really that's interesting yeah. um where like pyramid almost pyramid in incredibly enormous structures that reminded me now when i think back of cubert that video game cubert um almost like i saw cubert. i saw the cubert pyramid too yeah that's yeah so there you go um <laughs> but all sort of lights and like you said photons yeah here we go so uh and then this overwhelming not not, not overwhelming i'm sorry um this sort of overarching sense and almost a, a, a message, a communication to me that everything is going to be all right. Hmm. Like everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And, and like, so what you said this almost, we got to reframe everything for you. One, everything's connected. You know, it's all sort of light energy and this over, like this, this feeling of like, okayness and almost goodness that it's all going to be okay. And this like comfort uh, anyway, that was well. I saw the pyramid, and then she told me I was fucked. So I guess never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble, buddy. Yeah, you're um, fucked. Have you read um, uh, Cosmic Serpent by that's what got me That's what got me down there. That's I think what, that that's uh, very interesting book. Yeah, that's uh, that. So that was the book uh, that that opened the door to me to ayahuasca, and I read it not long after I graduated college. I was working at a Borders bookstore, and a fellow employee, we could have any book we wanted. We could just take it out like a library, and he's like, you should read this. This is so interesting, and I did, and I couldn't quite appreciate then where I was in, in life, perhaps um, the significance of that book, but so many things stuck with me. One was just origin of life, but two, uh, how cultures across time and across the planet could all have the same 
symbols like etched onto cave right. walls and so on. And then obviously the ayahuasca piece um, really stuck with me. And I knew then after I read that book that that was an experience that I, I wanted to have, that before I died, I was going to at least experience this thing and not at least was old enough and mature enough then to know it wasn't going to be a recreational experience. Right. And well, it was going for to sure. Be, it was going to be some work. And so I, I, you know, years later, this is maybe 10 years ago, I um, had a friend who was, took six months off from life and went down to South America. And she's like, let's go do, you know, let's meet up, come down here and we'll do the Inca trail. Uh, and so I and another friend flew down, we did the Inca trail, but I had knowing, okay, this is my one and only chance perhaps in life, not one and only, but this is my best chance to do it. I had set up a, a trip to Pisac and Ayahuasca Wasi. Um, so a little mm. village of Pisac, there was a retreat there. And so after the Inca trail, um, spent a day back in Cusco and then took a bus to Pisac to this little retreat and had my ayahuasca experience, which was, uh, there, you know, there's a story there, but we don't need to get into it. This is your time. Do you have a desire uh, to do it again? Abs- absolutely. Because I didn't, um, because of, the, because of certain situation circumstances, uh, well, I, I did not, per- I did not do a diet in advance because you're on the Inca trail, you're eating what they're going to give you. You're, yeah. you're spending a lot of energy. It wasn't, this is not the way that I think anyone should do it. Um, trying to, trying to pile these experiences all together. And one of them being uh, your first ayahuasca experience on that last day in the Inca trail, I ate some food that didn't sit right with me. So I actually ended up having like some diarrhea, a stomach bug and diarrhea. This isn't, there you you go. Know, well, yes, there you go. Uh, however, going into the ceremony, uh, one, I already didn't have much in my stomach, but I had this, this fear that, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom, you know, at some point in the ceremony. And there were bathrooms outside the yurt, uh, where, where the ceremony was taking place. So, you know, we, we go up and we take our drink and we go back to the, our place and on our, on our mat, their bucket in front of us, they dim the lights, the music starts. Um, and I did purge into my bucket nothing. It felt like a dinosaur egg is how I describe it. I felt like I was birthing a dinosaur egg into this bucket and it was unlike any purging experience I've ever had. Um, and so I don't have that fear when I think back on it. I, in fact, I welcome that. But then I had this sense, I'll go, okay, I've got to go to the bathroom. So I scrambled for the door, which was right next to me. I positioned myself on purpose next to the door thinking this is going to happen. I ran out the entryway, took a step into the night, and then collapsed. I, huh. I fell to the ground. And when I came to, it must have been like eight seconds later, 10 seconds later, the wife of the shaman and another guy who was there um, helping were by my side, you know, hands on my shoulders, Ben, Ben. And I get up and I look at them and I go, everything's going to be okay. Because <laughs> that, uh, uh, that was the message to me. It's like, it's like, I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. And I said, but I didn't make it to the bathroom. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's one of my favorite aspects of it. It's like, it's this symphony of farting and belching and vomiting and people crapping their pants. It's like, I love this. This is humanity at its finest. Yeah. So and, they laughed. Uh, they looked at me, they looked at me and they giggled. And we all had a giggle because I was sitting there with poop in my pants and the, and the <laughs> wife of the shaman let me into her house, which is a separate structure. And she let me shower. I had brought a change of clothes because I sort of anticipated this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never fully, because of this like, out of the ceremony experience that kind of rocked me and then showering, which was like normal, you know, um, I never fully got back into the ceremony. 
Yeah, and I think sense. that, you know, I just have, I've, I've got a lot of crap in my life to deal with, like the death of two brothers, you know, one that happened at a young age, never processed. And that was kind of what I went down there to deal with. And I think that I, I removed myself from the ceremony, never went back in. And so in the back of my head is I still have a ton of work to do, and this is the best way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah something like that is, um, you know, I think that's another, another piece of it that, I mean, there's, there's, um, and a lot of people get a benefit from going, banging out a few ceremonies, you know, and they lift, they lift their, their, their experience up and they get a great download and this and that. But once you get into that kind of trauma clearing, like you're talking about doing, uh, and it's uh, across modalities, like this is stuff that we have to, this, and I've, I've not that specific scenario, but the stuff that I've been dealing with is like, oh man, I'm going to have to do this for a long time, man. Like this stuff is in my cells, like yeah. much less if I want to practice, like this is a long commitment and it doesn't happen. <clears throat> Even that stuff, like there is no f- fast road to healing. There just isn't. It's not in psychotherapy, Western, you know, maybe cutting out a tumor is the closest we've gotten to it, but any kind of holistic healing just simply takes longer. Um, and, also, if successful, has typically longer efficacy. You know, it's just it's it's effective longer, and it takes longer to do. Um, um, but I've seen, um, you know, miraculous things happen for people. Miraculous things have happened for me, but uh, it's fucking painful. You know, mm. it's painful work going back over these traumas. The the. The, the, almost the solely we do we do sometimes we do men's weekends sometimes we do co-ed i actually prefer the men's weekends just because it's a little less distracting and um uh not that i find women distracting but there's a wonderful well is that true sometimes <laughs> i do um <laughs> that uh there's this wonderful efficacy of a group of men supporting each other and dealing with their traumas because there's so much shame in our culture and anything with sex or anything with loss, grieving, anything with, with, with sex conduct, sexual conduct or uh, preference is really just so loaded in our, in our culture that uh, at least just getting down there, here's a group of men. I find the healing for me just is, is a little bit more accessible quickly for yeah. that is I think there's some wisdom to, to drinking um, medicine in um, separately. As genders, you know, and that obviously can in this day and age can open up all can of worms. But um, back to that first set of 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 uh, of ceremonies for me, what was the overarching communication was like you are you are in a galactic. There's a galactic war going on between the forces of good and evil, little mm. man, and pick a side. <laughs> fucking pick a side mm-hmm. was like really i've had a lot of very harsh communications from ayahuasca <clears throat> and um but i would you know like the same like when I, I reflected when i got down to i was like of course i would have to go to the fucking end of the earth to the jungle make a big deal out of it that's me you know i would make a big deal out of my healing i it would be arduous it would take too long because that's who i am you know so you know and i sort of held myself negatively accountable for that for a while at the beginning but said well fuck it man this is who i am and um that's okay uh as long as i continue to apply myself to it so i've definitely had a lot of 
some of the learning that I've had to do about myself in the training has been really astonishing. And it's a, it's a testament to my teachers. Uh, one of them in particular, who's been a good friend and just very, very honest with me about what I have to do to prepare myself to pour medicine for people and to clean myself. And what his main <laughs> criticism is like, he turned to me in the middle of ceremony when he's like, man, you're loud. <laughs> he's like, you're clunky. Like, fuck you, man. Like, I just want to say, fuck you, Roshi. You know, like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories from who, what the Zen master, but he finally turns to Roshi's teacher. He's like, fuck you, Roshi. <laughs> take it anymore. But, you know, he's just saying, in, in the middle of ceremony, I'm like, clunky, what do you. He's like, he's like, you got to work on your elegance, man. Mm. You got to work on your beauty and your elegance because you're afraid of your beauty. And I was like, oh. Oh, oh man, did he just strip me down to my absolute core? Because I actually love, I'm, I have a sense of myself as being elegant. And when I'm in a good centered place, I have a good relationship to my own beauty and my own elegance. But a lot of the time I don't, a lot of the time my shoes are untied and I'm burping and I'm not, my neck's not shaven, my sh shirt's out and I'm clunking around, making a big sound. And I wasn't even... And for a pretty aware guy, I was completely blind to this part of myself until the medicine and really him saying, so like, you know, if you want to do this, you're going to have to change something that you're so fucking attached to yeah. that you don't even know it, man. Like you don't even know that you're attached. I was like, oh man. And so it's been, that's been a very interesting part of the training for me is this, it's not the, not the, not the difficulty of drinking, not the difficulty of keeping my head while on like the hardest psychedelic substance known to man um, or humans and um any of it the hardest part has been oh wait a minute like i'm wrong i'm wrong about what this means and i'm wrong about how this part of me that i cherish mm. and think is critical is actually holding me back and is actually stopping me from being a clear communicator the exact thing that I thought was like makes me a laser clear communicator and I can cut right to it and zip and look how efficient I am. It's like, it's actually my, my least attractive quality, you know, because I'm, because I'm deploying it from, uh, from trauma, not from the, the, not from being clear or holding people's attention or wanting to communicate something clearly. So it's been very interesting along those lines. Um, but yeah, the original communication that, that week, um, was pick a side, pick a team. Um, you're either for the forces of light and good, or you're not. And, um, very quickly things that got unpacked for, you know, the last few years, like trauma pierces our existence. And through these traumatic events, whether they're physical accidents, emotional traumas, abuse, addiction, whatever it is, things get in, uh, contaminants get in, whatever that means to somebody. Now, for me, it means I don't believe that the universe is populated by, I believe it's populated by a number of different kinds of sentences that are, some are physical, some are non-terrestrial. That's the world that was revealed to me. And but I, I believe that beforehand, um, but it was definitely like shored up. Um, 
But a lot of the weird shit that comes during ceremony, one of my favorite things one of my teachers says, he goes, well, you may have gone to the rings of Saturn and swam with dolphins or seen whatever you see, but did it help you? Are you happier? You better just a person, you better friend, because you saw dolphins off the rings of Saturn in an ayahuasca <laughs> ceremony? Probably not. So there's also, and I may, I may be completely spitballing here, it's back to the chemistry of it. There's the two compounds, harmaline and DMT, that you're that, that you're ingesting, and they hit you in a cadence as you ingest the medicine. And there is this bloom of like distracting visions and you know fireworks and shit that can happen for people. And I have a theory that it's a that it's supposed to be a distraction in the way that rapid eye movement, left, right, EMDR stuff is resetting the brain and keeping your conscious mind out of the way uh, or involved in something so it doesn't interfere with a process, a, a physical process that's occurring underneath it or a more basic elemental cleansing that's happening or reset that's happening. Um, and it just makes sense to me intuitively that that's what's happening. And there seems to be some bearing up in the, in the, in the, in the neurochemistry of that. Um, but it also just gets back to like, well, yeah, that's all, all these fantastical images or ideas or this or that, but are you happier? What's getting healed? What's getting passed from the system? And that's where I think back to the purging at one level, the purging is really important, but also what the Ikaros are doing is a whole crazy world of healing that's that's well beyond my understanding but it's really fascinating to participate in watching it happen right next to me the little bit that i've done of it is um is in is is defies all expectation um and is effective because then yeah the 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 the, the rings of saturn aside people are better the next day people yeah. are healed people pass their trauma they begin to get to a better relationship with something that's difficult for them. And that's where the rubber meets the road with healing. I mean, bottom line. Well, and that's, that's why we're all here, right? right? I mean, this is, this is a natural healing show, the terrain theory podcast. And we've done very little. What are we 40 episodes deep or something, Ben, about, you know, in the realm of mental health, right? as that relates to terrain. And I, my favorite word from this conversation so far is prismatic. Hmm. Um, because I'm only starting to peel back the layers of, again, as a, a an artist, a writer, someone who fancies himself intuitive, quote unquote, I've had this sense that it, it's all one braid or even to call it a braid is <laughs> it's, it's more than it's, it's, it's a unified front. The idea of oneness and uh, prismatic is my favorite word. The, the, we just talked to Matt Roski recently about electroculture. I was showing you my antenna in the garden and um, he's big into pyramids and we're sort of like this great remembering of symbology, cymatics, numerology, yep. spirit, mind, body. Um, but I like that you're simplifying it even further. It's not mind, body, spirit. It's just one thing. It's just right? manifest and, it's, and it's this, this like how, how far away we are from source that you have to go to the jungle and and drink the medicine um, to go to such and purge and puke and shit and and just roll around in your filth uh, and 
<laughs> contrasted that with this idea of I wrote it down. Just uh, you're afraid of your beauty. <laughs> to to find beauty, to find source, and to have to go through this this harrowing process, and that your commitment to it. I'd love to hear a bit more now about you know has it helped you? You just said that they ask you has it helped? How has it helped you? Can you? Are you comfortable sort of quantifying oh, sure. that? Um, I, it is helping, you know, I, right. it's, um, it's, and there's a lot of reasons why maybe it's, it's been rockier than others, than, than for others part, maybe just because I didn't completely cut my life out and I didn't just sort of go and just do that. I sort of have kept bouncing back between the worlds uh, a little bit. I did have a patch of time where somebody I was practicing with who was teaching me was going through an extremely difficult time, um, not dissimilar from my own problems, and it was clandestine and in the middle of a diet, and it comes up that, like, oh, wait a minute, this person's really ill. And that didn't – I think in the long run it's going to serve me, but it was a complicated piece of training to suddenly realize that your master at the time was – fucked up mm. out of their minds, mm. you know, and ill, mentally ill and having their own, you know, absolute sort of existence level struggle that would, you know, not different from the one that I was going there to, 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 to deal with myself. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very important to know, you know, and that's not a judgment on the person. I was very, it was very caring. It ended up being a loving exchange about everything, but like, don't water, don't walk into these waters. Um, unless you know that you're safe, you know, and not all practitioners the same, not all the practitioners at the same place in their, in their arc. Sometimes a great practitioner needs a few months off and they should just go do that. So make sure that, you know, in that case, I think it was my own need. Like I was, oh, I need to come yeah. die. Blah, 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 blah. And I wasn't tuned in like, well, maybe this person's not, yeah. maybe it's not right right now. So I was maybe not spending enough time, my own in- intuition at that point. Um, has it helped? It, it's, it's made things extraordinarily more difficult <laughs> and much more rewarding and much more tangible to me. Yeah. And it's reframed these incredibly difficult ideas that I have to like get in touch with my own beauty and I have to express myself. A lot of things that I've put off a long time yeah. and I've, I've made it, I've made it by on pure charisma mm-hmm. and a little bit of razzle dazzle and some really, and a lot of hard work yeah. and some real pure artistry, but yeah. a lot of it for me is, was been tied up in a lot of, a lot of trouble for a long time. I've, I, I'm a survivor of some pretty heavy duty childhood sexual abuse. Um, and that shit does not sort itself out right. unless you really get in there under the hood and clean it out. So I did that in different modalities I mean, for me, that 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 abuse complex, as I grew older, became narcotics addiction, um, which very early, you know, in my adulthood, reared its head, and then it's sort of been managing that sobriety in and out, trying to manage it while getting a lot of help, while being successful. Bonded, you know, it's a long, yeah. it's a long story, and it's not a unique story. Right, and there's a huge correlation between childhood abuse and childhood sexual abuse and, and drug addiction. Right. But I mean, I've 
go on the road from when it was clear that I was beginning to work on it, where my system would shut down, I'd hyperventilate, I'd flip out, I'd go use, whatever. Like I was just completely activated and unable to deal with any of it. And now I can talk about it. I can work on it. So, I mean, that's major progress from my perspective. Right. And, um, but, you know, our culture and our relationships don't, it's not something that I try to inject into the daily conversations right. that I have because it's just really unpleasant material. And it also opens up uh, another thing that collectively we clearly are not ready to look at, which is that this is a pervasive clandestine practice right. where people are cruel and violating children on a vast scale. And most of them are in a robotic state where they don't even know it. And they themselves have been violated. And so, like, you wonder why we have a warlike world. You wonder why these things uh, are perpetuated from generation to generation. And, uh, you know, the people that I work with and have studied with, we all are pretty much convinced that we should put uh, childhood sexual abuse to the top of the list as possible causes and conditions for, very, for, for, for societal sickness. So um, ayahuasca, I found, has been a very effective tool for dealing with it. I've also come at it with a lot of different modalities. I just, fi- I just finished a week of EMDR immersion, you know, to try to clean some of it up, which was wild, man. You know EMDR? The, no. All right. So it's a eye movement desensitization and, and reprogramming. It was developed in the 70s. And it's either paddles or lights blinking left and right or a stick where you follow the end. And it's not talk therapy, you basically focus on a trauma and they wave a stick in front of your face. And it works. And most people do it for about an hour in therapy and it's harm, it's for trauma, uh, trauma work and um, suicidal ideation, depression, it's usually what it's used for. Um, but this group in Massachusetts is developing a five-day immersion in it. So you do it all day for five days, agony. It was one of the most agonizing experiences I've ever had. Really, really helpful. <laughs> You've noticed that there's a theme like, oh, this great agonizing thing. Like the, Again, that's like, that's that would be me yeah. to do that. But um, it's very interesting uh, where it originally came from. And you can look up the woman who invented it. But basically the story was that she just got a terrible like stage 50 <laughs> diagnosis yeah. and she went for a walk which she did every day and she got back from the walk and she goes I don't feel bad I feel alright and so she began to work out what she'd done on the walk and it turned out that the one thing that she could really isolate is that she'd scan the horizon left to right and then they back and this is a well known scientifically proven modality. So she backed out that there's something that happens when your eyes are moving left and right, where the hemispheres of the brain are aligned. Your entire system is able to process stress cortisol in a completely different way because you're in fight. You're not in flight. You're actually dealing and addressing the source of stress in the proper human way, in a natural way. And from that has, has flown this whole practice. Really interesting and very, very difficult. So if you don't want to go to the jungle and do ayahuasca, you can have an equally, equally agonizing time doing five days of EMDR right here in America. Right here. In the, approximately in, the same amount of money. Right in Massachusetts. So, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, I, I love the plant medicine world. I mean, I definitely also work with mushrooms and other stuff like that. What, what interests me about ayahuasca is it feels like it's – uh, I've been blessed enough to work the people that I've got come into contact with and accept me into the community and I'm training with. Um, 
are like first gen, second gen, like they're the first group of people that have gone down there, really studied for a decade or longer and are beginning to bring it out of the jungle. Um, you know, maybe there's a group before them, but this seems to be like the next sort of vanguard of people who come from a Western background, spent significant time down there training with these people and are beginning to tease it out and bring it out. And I don't think, I think that's something to do with them, but my sense is the medicine itself has some kind of motility and some kind of desire to leave its confines. That seems to be what's happening. It's borne up by those people's conduct, by the ease at which it's happening, the way the media is responding, <laughs> open-mindedness from the rest of the world to different modes. I mean, there's something brewing where this ancient thing is becoming curious to the world around it. It's saying, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to spread this around. And that's that's another big part of the original download that I that I got that that first time. And um, so I think that there's some agency in it itself that has some kind of desire to break the box and get out. And it does feel maybe completely imaginary, but there seems to be a vitality and a, and a cadence to it that has something to do with it spreading its, its influence. Well, it, it's sentience as well. Right. And um, I mean, it reminds me of, dandelions will the seeds will land where the soil needs it most or the ghost pipe flower that i found along this ridge i'd never seen in my life before and this idea that the plants uh, go to where the trauma is where the healing is needed and I, I, it seems evident to anyone with eyes to see that all across the realm is in dire need of healing so yep. let's go send in the paratroopers all right, Nick, we're going we're gonna to bring this episode in for a landing, or we're going to close this ceremony, as it were. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there, were, there were one or two other quick points I want to discuss. Can we do those after the non-negotiables? No, no let's do it now. Yeah. Um, the, uh, one of the, well, two things that have come, uh, that have been products of, of the work so far. Um, one is that it was, it's clear to me that, when you look at the problems of addiction and people's, you know, substance abuse disorder, this and that, they're all the things that people get hooked on, well, other than benzos, but those are derived from natural, you know, concepts as well. It's all sacred plants that have been uh, contaminated, tobacco, cocaine. Coca is a very powerful plant. It's a very powerful healing plant. In fact, that's probably the next diet I'm doing precisely because I've had problems with cocaine in, in my life and a, a, a terrible relationship to it as a sacred plant. But when you really look at it, this is a sacred plant that's used sacred, you know, in a sacred context and a useful work context, even in those, in those cultures. And it's taken, it's stomped on by children in a pit full of gasoline and, and brokered by murders. And, you know, and then suddenly you have, uh, you have a monster, right? So, and this is across the board with a lot of these, a lot of drugs and a lot of medicines become corrupted by the processes that we put them through, the circumstances of their distribution. And these have, a, these have an extremely deleterious effect on their efficacy as medicine, medicines. I mean, even cocaine itself can be useful medicine um, under certain circumstances, but 
it's like everything, every medicine at a certain a certain dose and, and, and the reason for using it and its application just becomes toxic. Mm-hmm. And I think it's across the board with most all drugs, all illegal drugs, legal drugs is at the center. There's um, a, a larger issue at stake, which is that uh, how we create medicine, how we distribute it, um, what we're doing to sacred natural to even take sacred, if you don't believe that, off the table, like just a natural in the technology process and technology being defined as anything natural that is transformed to some degree or another by human intervention to produce something different than it does in a natural environment, something that benefits the user to some degree as a service, a product, experience, whatever. So, I mean, ayahuasca is a technology <clears throat> all of these healing modes are technologies to a certain degree. And I think it's, I think it's, it's a little bit of, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, that's just word, you know, people just doing word acrobatics and it's funny to call it a technology, but I was like, no, well, wait a minute. That is, it's like, and our relationship to technology is one of the, one of the things that really troubles our, our, our people and it being out of control or not, framed correctly. So I think it is important to understand this technology as it spreads, as it becomes more available in the West. And as a, you know, there's a guard against it. Some of the, there's such, there's so much money from VC companies. When you really dig into the kind of money that's being spent on psilocybin, synthetic ayahuasca, they're trying to develop. I mean, this is a very, very dangerous thing and they should not do it. I actually call a lot of them and say, hey, you need anybody to come in and kind of ethics check what you're doing here because it's probably a really bad idea. And there's a business model that involves you not synthesizing it that is sustainable and could be worked out into a better effect and, and you know, where, where you're keeping the indigenous piece it's all what Narby was talking about, like trying to get a structure in place that protects the 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 origin of where the stuff comes from, that it's a sustainable business model where they can continue to grow these plants in its original area and it's it's can be distributed safely and without the energetic contaminant of greed uh, and whatever else goes into corporate or illicit distribution of of a medicine will affect what it's going to do in the world. So sort of at a base level, that's changed my experience a lot of the world and looking at my own problems, stuff that's come up. Um, you know, that's, you take take hard narcotics like heroin and, and cocaine, both medicines, both derived from natural medicines. And, um, and then they're turned into monsters and people, you know, in Western recovery speak, it's all about personal, well, you got to take personal responsibility for what you do and this and that and that. That's very true. And there's a bit, a lot of healing in that, but what's not frequently acknowledged is that people are caught in the jaws of, of hundreds of, of billions of dollar industry that's designed to eat your life. Mm-hmm. It's designed to destroy your life and to take your vitality and to leave you broken or dead. And like, that's just not something that, and that's all well and good, but when it's really at the fulcrum point is that these people have taken something that was good and turned it bad is where the real power, where the tread of that comes in the world. Because something just concocted out of nowhere that's 
wouldn't have the same kind of energetic power in, in the world. I don't think it would have the same kind of corruptive power as even benzos as bad as they are. This is something concocted in a lab. It's completely synthetic. There's something worse to me about taking a sacred medicine and turning. And, and those are the things that historically have had a real chokehold on humanity. Even, you know, they call it spirits for a reason. It's the, you know, the fermented liquids are, 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 are good medicine. Um, but not when they're used, uh, you know, as a nightly anesthetic, wildly, and then mixed with all the other illegalities that have gone into it. So that's one piece that I think is interesting. The, the, the overarching experience that began for me before drinking medicine and has been only borne up by it uh, is an understanding that humanity um, has a, a, a colossal case of amnesia. <laughs> We are, we are in a constant global state of amnesia. And this is evidenced by the simplest thing that we are constantly creating, coming up with creation stories, right? And, they, and, and some of them match, but a lot of them are very disparate. And when you really start to think about it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense that we don't know where we come from. How is that possible? We... We have lineage. We know what happened. It, if anything is passed down, it's that. If, any, if there's been any communication of information from one generation, it's been that. So why is it that we're ultimately completely ignorant of what our origin is? Where do we come from? Now, they've concocted a story about us coming from, I mean, that, that just nothing bears up in that story. First of all, the the historical timeline has already been challenged with where our civilization comes from, how old it is, how many times it's manifested. It's clearly repeated itself a number of times, destroyed itself a number of times. The flood myth is universal to every tribe on earth. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's the news. It's not a myth. That's the news. We were civilized before and it was destroyed and we're back again after the dark ages, right? Where we, where our amnesia peaked. And my sense, and obviously there are lots of, there's a handful of writers and, and thinkers that are thinking this, that this is cyclical and this happened. It wasn't just one Atlantean, whatever you want to get into that, that, that monkey shines. But my sense is we're on a cycle that we keep re-civilizing and where there's this overarching um, uh, forced amnesia from what I can tell. Uh, I don't think we're electing it. I think it's it's somewhat imposed upon us or it's intrinsic to something in our experience that we're trying to get past and we're trying to free ourselves from this perpetual amnesia that we're in. But it's one of these things that just don't get, it's not just that the historical record was lost. That's a big part of it, but it's not the only part. It's There's a sense of of forgetting um, that has taken humanity by, by, you know, has really swept us away and put us in a lot of trouble. And it's the fact that we don't understand where we come from, or what our purpose is here, uh, that leads to a great deal of suffering in the world because it's unclear. And we're very capable, multi-talented, multi-instrumentalist multi creatures. And to not know what we are and to be to be kept in a state of amnesia by, I mean, without getting into too much speculation on a dark hand on it all, like whatever the system we've created has perpetuated our amnesia and offered thin, 
thin explanations for how we got here, what we are, what we come from. And uh, in my belief, that's our sacred. That's and that did a lot of a lot of my experience of the medicine has been centered around reconnecting me to it and uh, solidifying my understanding so it's unbreakable. And I'm like, no, 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 this is the uh, remembering uh, where we come from and remembering what uh, is at stake here is central to the medicine process for me. And she's been very, very generous with me on it. And I'm going to go into a lot of detail about how that's manifested in vision and experience. But um, there's something really important in there. And I just don't think that it comes up enough or people give themselves enough um, enough uh, agency to say, yeah, that is odd. It's odd that we don't have a, 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 a contiguous understanding of our origin. Um, we have contiguous understandings of so many other things. And there's just this giant blank hole like, oh, well, we don't really know what happened. And, you know, there's a very vague, not particularly scientific explanation that has no, you know, that has a lot of holes in it. So, I mean, that's a theory. And I don't, uh, I certainly am not, I don't believe in Christian creationism at all whatsoever. But the um, the thin story that we've evolved from simians just doesn't really add up too good. <laughs> so that's something that I think is 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 on a is, is affected me a lot on a global scale with my medicine experience. But I think there's a and even more important than that, there's a one of my teachers says this a lot. He just says he goes just remember, remember, and his his sort of working idea is that our memories contain the things that we remember. There's something there for us. There's something there for us to go take there's a piece of learning or a piece of our integration in our life in the world that there's the reason that we have memory it's not because there's something unsettled in that thing that we remember and that uh it presents itself to us as memory so that we can go back and 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 finish the puzzle Mm. that was beautifully explained well thank you thank you uh because it's something ben and i even offline talk about a lot um and i feel like that is these are threads a lot of people are pulling at right now. Uh, there seems to be this resurgence of asking questions, for lack of a better term, asking big questions, yep. pointing to some of these black holes in, in even the recent past that uh, get easily brushed under the rug or we're too busy, so we just move on because the there's some big consequences tied up in the questions we're not asking. People are starting to ask them, and what I'm realizing is as much truth can be suppressed by, again, this enigmatic dark hand, maybe puppet master that's behind the curtain, Oz, um, you simply cannot suppress intuition. You cannot. It always bubbles up and finds its way through if you let it, if you acknowledge that it's there and that it has something to say. And I think it finds its way through, through the arts, through music, through medicine, through plants, through nature. Um, and then we become conduits and portals for a deep intuition of choose your word, spirit, prana, chi, ether, that it makes its way to the surface. And we, and I, I think when you said, you know, pick your side, are you on the side of good or evil? That That's what you're doing. You're saying, I want to be on the side of, of channeling 
the old truths that are irrepressible. Right. What about yeah. you, Ben? You pick a side? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I do pick a side. I do. I think about this a lot, the good and evil. Although, because my my experience, my first experience with, with ayahuasca, there was no indication that there was this war, this, this choose a side notion. I have to think on that a lot now after this conversation and, and hopefully something to look forward to as I um, plan out my next experiences with, um, with the mother. I mean, my thinking on that is, is that, that was the original challenge put forward to me. Unreal. Um, however, I would, I have such a combative nature. Apparently I've been told, <laughs> you know, I would see it as a combat. I would yeah. see it as that. And, you know, I think that one thing that, um, really, really becoming more and more present, which is extraordinarily difficult, um, is, but that the medicine's been teaching me is that it's part of the, part of being happy or integrating our experience here is that, is the idea that we can hold two things at once. Hmm. I get all two truths. The world, the, the universe is a galactic battleground. Um, and I have to pick a side and it's also fine. Just mm -hmm. as it is, mm -hmm. and 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 as it is, and I have to be able to hold them both at the same time and practice both without being completely schizoid. You know, I think it's Einstein that said the most important decision you make is whether the world is a predatory or a collaborative place. Mm -hmm. Whoa, man! Like, and. I think it's both. <laughs> you know, it's both depending on what's happening and both can be true. I mean, the, the forest is a predatory place, right? You know, people fighting for space, they're supporting each other and using each other. And yet sometimes something enters the, something enters the fold that does have predatory energy or destructive energy. And that has to be reckoned with too and circled up around same thing. It's like these all, we have to be able to hold both things because otherwise it's not really, uh, it's not really, we're not really in the world at that point. Like if one, it's only this or it's only that. And I've found that as I've gotten older and just even dealing with my own, in a, in a local way in my own life or my own, my own, my own struggles or my own healing, it's like sometimes you have to hold, oh, well, somebody can be a perpetrator and they can be a sick person that needs your empathy at the same time a classic thing that most people have to deal with in their own life. And it's very complicated. You know, I mean, I think right there, it, people get stuck on that road bump for years in trying to heal themselves, especially from trauma inflicted at the hands of specific people. Like, you know, how do I, how do I make sense of this? Well, they're both true. Someone can be horribly violating and they can also be a product of their own violation and deserve your open heart. And like, that's a big, I mean, that's a, that's a global historical amnesia aside, that alone would yeah. be enough to get the instrument around as an adult, you know, and really hold that much would be impressive to, yeah. you know, I mean, I haven't done it yet. I mean, I'm trying, but it's not, it's not, it's not easy, simple, but it's not easy. There we are again, Ben. There we it's are. Simple, but it's not easy. Simple, but not easy. Yeah. That, that alone would be a worthwhile life goal to be able to. Uh, exist in a place where you can allow for that two opposing thoughts to hold at once right. and not fall apart. 
And from the Buddhist perspective, the, the conflict between those is a source of a lot of suffering. Yeah. Right. Or I, I'm good and bad, you know, just even that, like this right and wrong. I say, well, it is. They both are. You know, <laughs> stop thinking and end your problems, just like Lao Tzu said. I mean, there's, I'm not sure that that's the key, but there's a stop gnashing, you know, stop mm. grinding these two sides together to try to make sense of them instead of just, there they are. Yeah. And then, you know, this opens up the portal to a whole other terrain of conversation, but there is this plank in the meditation world of somehow being able to still your mind enough that you do quote unquote stop thinking and then you channel what some might call divine communication or consciousness which leads the way which um it's almost like an ether medicine right yeah i'm into that yeah you got any ether medicine laying around let's get some it's, we need more it's copper. All, it's, all, it's all around us. That's the beauty. Exactly. Nick, all right, Nick, are you ready to talk about your non-negotiables now? No, that's why I started launching on that other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it did feel like a deflection. I don't want to call yeah, you out, no, but I am. I'm going to hold that and the other part to you. Yeah. Um, my non-negotiables, meaning things that I that I have to do every day, or I'm, I go bonkers, or things things that you do every day to tend to your terrain. Yeah, perhaps. You know, they're less physical, I think. Um, I'm not a terribly disciplined person. I make up for my lack of discipline with, uh, with, uh, with a, a tsunami of effort. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I only eat and, fish and plantains, but I'm not a disciplined person. Well, I, but, and, I'm not, well, and that, that leads me to another topic. Like when, I can't, when I bring the diets up here, you know, they're like, well, you can't eat this, that, and the other thing. And I said, well, let me get this straight. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like, and it is one of my one of my non negotiables. Like, if I don't smash a piece of dogma every day, then I'm probably <laughs> not doing my job. Or like, question, you know, say that's not, you know, that doesn't make sense, uh, and that just seems to be my my plight or my my purpose. You know, they say, well, you have to eat. It's you're supposed to eat only river fish, and like a plantain or like a dry root vegetable, whatever, no nothing on it, no nothing. Maybe a bean, maybe some oats. Now, the reason they eat river fish and plantains is because they're in the Amazon. Mm. And that's where there's river fish and plantains. Right. So I keep having these arguments with my maestros. I'm like, well, I don't live in the Amazon. Yeah. So is the point that I have the least impact, like the simplest most just neutrify with the least thought, the least swizz going into procuring my yeah. food and like hyper localism. Right, right, right. This is the look, this is shit growing in my backyard. I can right. live off this and right. that's it. I said, well, then I should eat something else, shouldn't I? Right. Up here, I should eat potatoes or sweet potatoes. I should eat trout. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the eggs know. that come from the chicken that run around your right. property. Why would that but, be? Oh, there are no eggs. It's vitality. And it's right. all right, okay. Right. okay. Right. But I mean, you don't need vegetables. You don't eat salad for it entire thing it's like that's the hardest part for me is because i get a few weeks in i'm like man i don't you know so i've i've modified it yeah which you know and i have these arguments with them i said well look i just don't i intuitively think that that's just bullshit propping you know bullshit dogma that the maestro's saying that well because i'm a, a you know white guy i gotta go back and you know how much effort and resources it's gonna take for me to get plantains up to the berkshires i mean this is a, that's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> like there's no plantains here. So, you know, I've, I've had a number of heated discussions and sort of them shaking their, well, you're going to dirty your diet. You're going to dirty your diet. And then we get to the end of the diet and I said, well, how's my diet? I said, yeah, it's pretty clean. I said, yeah, yeah I thought so. 
Yeah. You know, so I'm, uh, apropos of saying that, I think that uh, there has to be a peaceful moment in my day where I am making sure that I'm guarding that, that part of me that um, without arrogance, but just like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm in the world feeling what's right for me today. And I'm going to follow that regardless of what anybody thinks about what I'm doing. And um, as long as it's peaceful and it doesn't, you know, negatively affect people, then I'm good to go. Health wise. Yeah. Um, breathing, a lot of breathing. I do a lot of breathing. Uh, I do a lot of focused cyclical breathing. Uh, I drink lots of water. Um, I try to move my body and walk a lot. I try to spend time around animals a lot. We have a lot of animals at the farm, but that's like a non-negotiable. If I can, as long as I'm not insane, you know, and I'm in the world, then I try to spend time with them. And, um, I'm trying a new practice, which was, which was given to me recently by one of my therapists of a very long time. He just turned to me and he goes, you know, Nick, you're not very complimentary to people. (laughs) And again, another thing that I really thought I was great at (laughs) that I was really giving, you know, and and he's like, he's like, nope, not really. (laughs) I said, okay. So I've been trying to make sure that I am quiet enough and still enough to see where people need a kind word and um, and acknowledge what they've done uh, with their day and to kind of shift some of my energy into that because, you know, I'm just self-centered. I mean, most of us are, but I'm particularly self-centered. And uh, apparently that's another blind spot where I just didn't, I didn't do it maybe I, I thought I was doing it, but it was in a, it was in a different, you know, it was in, it was in, uh, it was in Klingon, I guess. And nobody understood what I was saying, you know, which is more and more my experience. It's like, Oh wow. I did express it, but I wasn't aware that I was speaking a fucking different language than that person speaks. Yeah. And, uh, cause I get it. If I'd said it to myself, I'd said, Hey, thanks man. Thanks for the, thanks for the compliment. Uh, but they don't hear a compliment. They hear, you know, some grumbly, old man you know saying some shit they don't understand so you know i so apropos that's a non-negotiable that i try to i try to not ossify and um and stay flexible like with my mind with my with the way i communicate yeah, I'm not much of like, I don't run three miles a day. I probably get half, you know, I, I get a hundred yards, I'd fall over and have a heart attack. So I don't want to, I don't want to do anything dangerous, <laughs> like exercise. <laughs> Stay in your lane, man. Right. God, God forbid. And for the, for the listener who has their curiosity peaked and wants to do a little more research into ayahuasca, um, in addition to the books that were referenced, on this episode, where, where can they go to learn more like credible source of information? Well, I would probably parrot my teacher's, uh, my teacher's advice, which is don't, um, don't research it on the internet. You're going to get a lot of, you're going to get a lot of the, uh, the Jupiter rings dolphin, um, uh, re recounting of the experience. 
And um, again, you're, you know, any good practitioner is going to disabuse you of having that expectation that you're going to go in and have this wild trip with wild visions because you may not. Mm -hmm. Um, So be very careful would be my advice on just poking around like, you know, testimonial shit or random blog stuff about it because it's extremely subjective. And, you know, it's something that we tell people at the end of the weekend, um, which is really important, uh, you know, if they're on a, like an ayahuasca weekend or like a, their first experience is be very, very careful who you share this with. Um, be very careful who you share your experience with one. Yes, it's illegal. Don't tell them where you were, blah, 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 all that other stuff. But be careful because it's, you've probably been given something precious and you have to be very, uh, very fastidious with your motivation for telling somebody. And it's not, it's often for us all not clear why we share something that's been a real heavy charge, positive shit. Like we want to run out and tell the world, but there's a, there's immediate dilution that occurs. The moment you start from that, um, from the, it's called the flight into euphoria in, in, in psychology. And it's, it's not, it's not holding it. It's not holding space for it. It's trying to convince, ultimately people are trying to convince somebody else that it's cool or they had a good experience or they're better. You know, there's some charge to that communication, most likely if it's someone close to you, where you have an agenda in telling them what happened for whatever reason. And not that that's a bad thing, but it's something to be careful with. And also, usually you've had this mind-blowing experience and all this this, un, this deep understanding gets downloaded and then suddenly um, they don't care <laughs> or they don't care enough. And then suddenly, oh, well, maybe I didn't. And there's, so there's, a, there's really an immediate fall off when you're careless about sharing it. And the point about saying when people are going to go look for that, they're actually entering into that. They're entering into that cycle of dilution and, um, that's one reason. Uh, so I would focus more on finding a center you can get to. Uh, there are some places in America. I can't really recommend them heavily yet. There's a new facility that is the people that I work that will be coming on in a few years or a year or so. I would hold on that recommendation till then. If you want to travel out of the country uh, and do it, Niway Rao is a good idea. Uh, the other places we mentioned are probably good ideas. I think the best thing to do is find something you're comfortable with doing and really just look at the, the, the mechanics of it. Like, is it easy to get to? Is, uh, is it the right amount of effort for me to get to it? Does it to do it? And trust your own intuition, if anything. Like, look at the pictures and say, oh, you know, well, that one feels right. This one doesn't. Call them. Talk to them. Make contact with the people that are there doing the work instead of um, – some person you're not going to have any contact with who went through the place and even reading their testimonies. Obviously, if some, you go to some place and there's 10 posts about how people were, you know, uh, violated or molested or something during, you know, or it's dangerous for women or this and that, those are real concerns. And if you look on a, you know, if you can research a facility as opposed to just the, the experience of ayahuasca, you're going to get a lot of bad info or you're going to get a lot of, not bad, but you're going to get a lot of, of just very personal material that may not bear on your own experience going. 
Joe Tarfer's book is excellent, The Fellowship of the River. That I'm going to go read like a third-party source on the actual practice and what it's good for. I, I would highly recommend Joe's book because it's just, it's solid. It's solid, solidly written, not too long. It's not a bunch of woo-woo. Let's go. I, I like that this came up recently too, this idea that let's use books over the internet whenever we can. Oh, man. Whenever possible. Well, I tell you, I had a weird download uh, early on in drinking, which was, um, and she was being very clear with me. She was, um, when you're revealing some of some dark energy or some dark sentency to me that had been affecting me or that I'd been interacting with or that were germane to my, my journey, she goes, they can't read. I said, what do you mean? I said, they can't read the written human word. But they have agency in machines, which kind of, you know, dovetails my whole Skynet, you know, belief of the world. And, you know, like, but I thought that was an interesting idea that there was a purity in the written human word that is absent from our current distribution technology for, for digital content. And that there was somehow it does. My instinct is it is somehow compromised. It's also just, you know, it's, um, it's a practice that shuts down. It's back to the EMDR work and scanning the horizon and living in the world and being aware of our environment. Something about this process of working with computers up close, and I do it a lot. I do a lot of video and computer work. There's a, it's a limitation, and it's a, uh, there's a, it's just a different. It's like a portal to a different universe, you know. Yeah. And so that for the for the for the purpose of healing and doing this kind of work that to, to make written handwritten or typewritten or any physically written piece of work has a vitality that can't be argued with and is real. And it's not nothing wrong with reading an ebook. I'm not saying, you know, to draw the computers out, but maybe for this kind of a critical process, just, you know, stay analog, which yeah. I thought was an interesting reveal. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Um, it makes me think. You know, I've heard said again in like the good versus evil paradigm that they they can't win ultimately, and I feel like a lot of it is wrapped up in as long as we keep writing real words hmm. with uh, as, as continue to be scribes, scribners, and keep it analog. Ultimately, that that wins the day. Yeah. I had some weird stuff with the negative entities and just like it was even revealed to me, like specifically in one ceremony, I was introduced to an entity, you know, real or not is not the point, but it manifested for me that this was the thing that was present for me at all my really low moments of like narcotics abuse or like really d tough times. Like this thing was there. It was fucking terrifying when I ran into it in ceremony. I was like, oh, God, look at this thing. And then it was even more, and then she fleshed it out for me. She was, no, no, it's not like, it doesn't mean you harm. It just gets energy from you. It's vampirizing you. And it, you're no more important to it than, the th you know, a Three's Company episode. It just <laughs> happens to be where it gets you, it's protein. Is <laughs> your, you in that state engaged in your trauma, and reliving your trauma or whatever it is, like investing in that 
process or even the byproduct of me trying to work through my trauma in that way as opposed to a different way that didn't involve uh you know that that setting or those those bad medicines created sustenance for this thing yeah and that's it it wasn't any more important or malevolent or wrong it's like there are two forces one take one take energy in a certain way one take energy in another way and you know it's the intuition of just like hey i'm looking at these both these paths hey, this feels a little better yeah you know uh, plumage and strength and my my human spirit being celebrated by the by this that feels better than uh, you know an adi'd uh, you know scaled monster in the corner you know whatever however it's manifesting but like it's um even to divorce from the sense of right and wrong and just like my my intuition says do this and support this and this other thing feels like it's taking from me as opposed to offering something to the collective it may be that simple you know yeah <clears throat> beautifully said beautifully said um as was so much of what you have said and shared on this podcast. So I hope it's, uh, it's, uh, listenable. It's, it's absolutely, it's highly listenable. listenable. And I, I know when, when I first broached this subject, cause again, I see you a couple times a year at the, at the barn for a gig. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. Yes. We'll, we'll see, see you next weekend. Everybody Is it next weekend? Yeah, wow. The 12th, right? Yeah. The 12th. That's right. Um, the mammals at the Egremont barn Yes, for the listeners and the local Northeast region. Tickets available at the Egremont barn. <laughs> <laughs> and they're snap right back into the many hats we wear. Uh, but you know, I, again, we have little snippets of conversation while I'm visiting and, uh, and I said, you know, I'd love to get you on my podcast. And even just saying the word, like there's this, like, there's this sort of visceral, like, like really, like, I think you even said like, man, yeah, because it's not a real conversation unless it's on the internet. And like, exactly, I, I feel funny. the same way because it's taking it from the analog world yeah. to the digital world. Having said that, I'm so grateful that you made the effort to come I'm and grateful. share so much of yourself in your story, in your journey. And as you said right at the very beginning, it's like these are, you're just taking some little baby steps into a very big world. And I think I speak for Ben. It's like we're excited to be part of this journey with you and to see where it's going and to check in with you periodically uh, as the as the days and months and years roll on to, to see what it continues to reveal. Well, it's been a real pleasure. It's a real honor to talk to you guys. And I, uh, it's, uh, it feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, man. I love it also that when we have had, you know, stealing conversations in the middle of it, but it's always like suddenly broken off, like this show happening and then, yep. and then suddenly you and I are like, so. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> The global conspiracy. Of the, the, yeah. the, 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 all right, no, I got to go back. Great, I'll see you. Right, right. <laughs> right. So you're still microdosing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sound check. Right. And, and and that's how that's how we will start uh, the follow up episode a year from now. So, um, so. But on that note, Nicholas Keen, thanks again for for joining the Train Theory Podcast. We appreciate you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Now it's time for the after party. Come and join us in the pioneer room. Come and join us in the pioneer room. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the after party in the pineal room. In the pineal room. Benjamin Hardy. What did you think of Nicholas Keene? This is my first time meeting him. When you mentioned to me months ago, we tried to get this lined up, I think in July, he said. Uh, I was expecting someone younger uh -huh. and someone more i th i don't know why someone more like introverted 
he took me by surprise. So there was that. There was, oh, okay, this is who Nicholas Keene is. Uh, incredibly intelligent and experienced. Like he he comes to the table with, you could just tell right away that there's a reason he's been drawn to this because he's got this life experience that he's working through and sorting through. Um, so So there was that. There was, okay, this is not what my imagination had built up Nicholas Keene to be. So it was a very, very fast uh, adaptation mm-hmm, <laughs> to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then like you often remark, I felt like I was sort of sitting back just soaking it in. Yeah. Um, Don't you love that? I really do. I really do. And I'm so glad that we were able to make this interview finally happen with him because he it really brings an incredible perspective uh, to the topic of plant medicine and ayahuasca specifically. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. So that's, that's my initial. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that the, the first thing you just said was that you were expecting more of an introvert. And actually that's how I think of Nick. I don't, he's, I mean, he's, gracious and he's hospitable and like I said my context for knowing him is at the venue and he's welcoming us in and making us comfortable but he's he's very understated in his personality um mm. we have great chats but he is a little bit on the, I would characterize him a little bit on the introverted side okay and uh and so I was actually really um surprised and like like happily surprised to have him sitting right here next to me and being so open and enthusiastic with his story, because I was expecting him to be a little bit more um, guarded and private. But I mean, he, I think this is a journey he's on. I think that's how he maybe has traditionally been in his life. And remember, he reached out to us like, hey, I want to take you guys up on the rain check. I want to get back down there. Like he, he was really committed to following through and using this as an opportunity to really sort through i think a lot of what he's been through only in the last couple of years and really share and what an honor that he felt safe enough and trusted us enough to use our platform to tell his story I agree because he's yeah. not it's not like he's doing a lot of interviews right or um, or like you said do you have a is there even a web page we can point people to it like this is not really something he's broadcasting advertising it's a very private journey to yeah. date yeah, this isn't a business. This isn't a, an influencer. This isn't someone correct. In the, in it's not someone health. who has an Instagram page who's yeah. looking for followers or not. Not that there's anything wrong with so many of the people we've had on are that and have that, and they're trying to build right. awareness around this, that, or the other thing. And we love. I mean, we find I would say more than half of our guests via Instagram and and, and quote unquote influencers, right? But this yeah. is not who Nick is. No. No, in fact, we don't even at the exactly at the end. <laughs> we don't point to him. We point to <laughs> Fellowship of the River. Like we point to books and resources to learn more about ayahuasca. But I think you know, if we thinking about this, looking back, hindsight, if we, you know, there's there's a million ways to tackle the topic of ayahuasca and plant medicine, and this isn't to say that we've covered it all. No, but the trajectory of our podcast has been that we probably would have gotten a, a shaman, someone who is already pouring the medicine and can speak to it, or maybe someone who owns one of these retreats. Sure, you sure, know the sure. retreat that he goes to. I love that we're talking to someone who is 
has as a goal pouring the medicine and has just as many questions about it as we do, but just different questions. He's he's a, a different place in, in his journey and understanding. But as he told as he told us, there's no handbook. No one is telling him right. specifically what comes next. It's they they refer him back to the plant. Well, yeah. what what is she telling you to do? Um, and so and so to have a person at this phase of his journey, it's almost like t- talking to someone who's in year three of naturopathic school or something. Sure. Um, but 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 more so because of the the potency of this plant, the the sacredness of this plant. It's um, yeah, it's fascinating. I think I I enjoyed this. I don't know. We don't. We'd have to a b it and get a shaman on and find out what that is like, but. I like that sometimes you have a guest who just goes, I don't have the answers. This is where I am. This is what it's asking me. And and I think that that will prompt in the listener as many questions. You know, perhaps See, This was questions. almost more along the lines of one of our terrain transformation conversations. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, except that the transformation is ongoing. Yeah, yeah. I have a question for you. Will you do ayahuasca? Right. You were you were sort of teasing at that in a text earlier. Uh, I think I would probably, under the right circumstances in in life. I think I would. I, I would properly. I think I would probably. I I find I'm I find that I'm not chomping at the bit to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know why that is. I feel yeah. like because I'm like in this. Uh, what am I in? I don't know. It's a, it's a funny thing. It's almost like why Russell Brand won't do microdosing. It's like he's in a he's in a a detoxing uh like hardcore sobriety path. And plant medicine, it's this is this is this funny little gray area where it's like what is plant medicine? Is it a drug? Is it a psychedelic? Is it a medicine? It it's sort of all of these things. But I'm being like, I'm just like proceeding very cautiously with like what I put in and on my body. And I don't know if I am like, I am more excited to do a water fast than an ayahuasca journey presently. Or I'm more excited to like build my meditation minutes up to two and a half hours than an ayahuasca journey presently. You know what I mean? I'm I'm really fascinated by like um, where I can go the outer realms of consciousness is something Nick, a, a phrase he used. I'm, I'm trying to get there um, through my own accord presently. That's where I'm at. I love that. I, I, I want to validate that as your friend. And, and I think that it also echoes some of, or is drawing on some of Nick's own guidance, which is if it speaks to you, Correct. It is calling to you. If it is speaking to you, then you should go do it. If it isn't, then maybe you shouldn't. Maybe I think that's where that's what I think that's exactly. I don't want to do it just because we just had a conversation about it and it's top of mind and it it feels like, ooh, this is the next shiny new thing that I got to go try. Because frankly, I do go and try a lot of the stuff that we talk about and implement with every conversation. I go and stick a copper antenna in my garden or I start <laughs> doing Wim Hof or I um, right. sunning my balls on the regular, whatever it is. I am no stranger to, to immediately jumping in headfirst to trying new things, but I'm not necessarily called to this one today, right now in this moment. And that may change. That And that said, 
if slash when you do it, which do you think will be the easier thing for you to give up? Catholic guilt or the addiction to chocolate salted caramels? <laughs> well, I heard he did. Uh, you think you have? You think you have? You just haven't had one in a while. They're living in my body because yeah. our body is a time machine. You're right. Yeah, our body is a time machine, and I don't know. I think if I put one in front of you, uh, I, I, listen, I'm not going to. I'm your friend. I want to support you. Um, I don't want to tempt you with those addictions. Those you know what, Ben? Addictions. Last night I was around a fire pit with some some new friends, and um, some chocolate was being passed around. You know, and these are all like super hippie, holistic bros. So of course it's like organic and no sugar and a billion percent cacao and like all that shit. And I almost said no because like just out of principle it's like I don't eat I don't eat chocolate. I don't eat sugar. But I I, I ate a little bit. Oh man. Even the devil is non GMO. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let's put that on a t shirt. Yeah. That's listen, funny. Well I'm glad that you admitted that to me on this podcast. I will have some thinking to do now. Um, well, speaking of some thinking to do, I, on the I think of our relationship and 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 moving forward on this podcast, this yes, well, Michael I, had succumbed to the temptation, lady temptation, and he consumed <laughs> chocolate last night around a campfire. Folks, was, we might have to do like an Instagram poll: Should Mike be dropped from the podcast <laughs> until his body is clean enough? You need it. I'm, listen, I'm going to open a diet for you right now. <laughs> There's no, there's no more chocolate. You are dirty, sir. You brought your filth to the pineal room. <laughs> oh God, listeners, welcome to the real Ben Hardy. This is yeah. how he. This is this is what I have to put up with for for twenty plus years. You call it tolerating. I call it treating. Being treated to. Go on, Doctor Hardy. Go on. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on okay moving on. uh in answer to your question i don't know that's my knee-jerk reaction presently maybe there's a little bit of an intimidation factor with like the whole like purge element although i mm. am actually really fascinated by this idea of purging bring on another way to purge some toxins especially those that are embedded via trauma that we're not uh readily cognizant of that does seem like a healthy thing to be doing because in the same breath if i'm going to do a water fast ostensibly to let my body's natural mechanisms have the the breathing room to do what it to do what it does to let my body just get out of the way and let my body like go it seems like this plant medicine is essentially just doing that to the nth degree uh, I, I would say in some regard i mean at least immediately like on a Prior, spiritual level, it's like a spiritual yeah, cleanse, is what it yeah. feels like. That's what it felt like to me when I described um, giving birth to a dinosaur egg through my mouth. Yeah, that because I had nothing in my in my stomach. There was nothing really coming up, but I felt something significant coming up. And you're not a you are not a, a throw up guy, if I remember right. You are not a vomit. Uh, I yes, I'm the type of dude who like. You know, back in the drinking days when you know you should vomit, yeah. but it, maybe you don't want to, I would like try to not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But these days as an adult, because I've poisoned myself <laughs> eating <laughs> eating foraged things I probably shouldn't have been eating uh, the last couple of years, I have, I've hurled a couple of times the last couple of years. Okay. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing ever. In P fact, you, it, it brought relief. You puked and did not cry. 
I, I probably teared up a little bit. Or I puke and cry. Right. No, yeah. I think I did puke and cry. Uh, but it, what, there were tears of joy. Tears of joy. It, it, what was uh, what was most one of the most astonishing discoveries in that conversation was when I related my experience and described basically getting food, what I thought was food poisoning, and in the in the day, like the twenty four hours prior to my ceremony. And he looked at it and goes, "Oh, there you go. You were purging." There you go. And, I, and I was like, "Yeah." Wait, it wasn't. Is that crazy? Not have been food poisoning. It might have been my body preparing for the ceremony without ever ever having any experience going into the ceremony. That I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. Wasn't that amazing? That was amazing. He saw it completely differently. I was like, "Oh, was that food I ate after hiking Machu Picchu?" But then I'm like, "Yeah, but other people were eating that food too. Why was I the only?" Wait a minute, Madre Madre Ayahuasca, you did it again. Yeah, that was beautiful. Uh, mm. It was the most normal, obvious thing to him. Like, of course, most that normal, happened. Obvious thing, yeah, uh, yeah. He, I mean, I'm again. I'm just, I'm just sort of looking down my notes. I loved when he talked about circling up. Uh, strangely, earlier in that day, I had just seen a video on Instagram of like this turtle that was stuck in a drain, you know, this, you know, and it's upside down and it's stuck in like the drains whirlpool and all these other turtles circle up around it and flip it over. And when he said circle up, I just thought of that and it was really beautiful and synchronous. And I thought, yeah, circle up Uh, like the turtles circle of turtles. Yeah. If uh, Circle of Turtles was a band, what genre would they play? Oh wow. Probably Hippie Jam Grass. Circle of Turtles. Yeah, Hippie Jam Grass. Okay. Well, that's out there now, folks. Someone needs to claim that. Circle of Turtles would be opening for Elephant Revival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I love that ayahuasca, as I understand it, is a ferment. Am I correct about that? I I wasn't aware. I know that you you boil it. Uh, you boil the two ingredients together and in what I suspect is just water and then kind of reduce it. But I wasn't aware that it was fermented. And, well, someone can chime in and let us know if we're right or wrong on that. But if that is the case, I find that fascinating because um, fermentation yeah. has been on my mind a lot as I look into food preservation and gut health and um, tried and true ways of doing thing things. Mm. Fermentation seems to hold uh, the answer to a lot of questions that we have. It's that uh, living food or living yes. beverage kind of thing, kombucha, even yeah. you know, beer and alcohol. It, it he, it, I think it he, just keeps it was, coming up. I didn't expect it to come up in this conversation. Yeah, and and yeah, it has me thinking a lot more about my relationship to alcohol. I think I'm not, you know, I'm not going to return to it, but it did have me thinking a lot more about consumption of. Uh, a, a beverage like that, like something like filing that is, it in that category. Like yeah, Mark Bailey's like, talks about how he brews his own beer and now it's a living food. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, okay, maybe there is a place for this. And, and there's no question that it can, you know, it is a depressant. It can be a relaxant. It can be something that you have after a particularly stressful day. It can just yeah. be an arrow in the quiver potentially. I don't yeah. know that I, I'd ever want it to return to like my go-to yeah, but um, it could be something that's just pleasurable and not have any sort of guilt associated with it. Yeah, um, something that, that I don't know if it really came up in these words, but it's I keep writing it down. I feel like I I scribbled this down when we were talking to Amanda Vollmer, and uh, 
like you, I was most comfortable just sitting back and letting Nick hold court because I felt like what an amazing opportunity. I also felt like this was more along the lines of a Joe Rogan type of interview because it was long form. (laughs) And it's like you're getting sort of deep into somebody's like personal trauma. And you just all all I wanted to do was like make him feel supported and comfortable and this and let Nick just say everything he felt comfortable saying sort yeah. of like, um, well, anyway, I just feel like that's a Joe Rogan thing. Cause it's like every Joe Rogan thing is three hours long. Cause you give the person the space to like, to get deep, to like really peel back some layers. Um, but this idea that our culture for lack of a better term is spiritually bankrupt as mm. a whole. It's something mm. I've been thinking about a lot, like what that really means. And, and it, that I found myself, I wrote it down three different times as wanting to interject with that and then just not having the right moment. So I'm just, I'm saying it now. Um, and I think that also ties in with something he said, humanity has a colossal state of amnesia. Like mm. there's just something, there's just, there's a really, A, there's many really, there's these chasms, these like these missing pieces to our identity. Um, and part of them you could argue are by design and part of them is just maybe laziness or bad habit or conditioning. But like this, this state, this, this sense that like there's something missing and we don't even maybe know that something's missing, but there's this intuition that keeps tugging at a lot of us, reminding us that there's more to the story. There's more to us. There's more to the picture. Um, I feel like that's a lot of what Nick is trying to unearth and share. He he mentioned floods, the mythology, flood mythologies. Yeah, that came up again. That comes yeah. up. Um, he intimated pretty strongly that he doesn't necessarily buy into uh, evolution of man, uh, which was which was fascinating. I mean, think about okay, think about what is out there openly the concept of a great reset. Like we have world leaders who subscribe to the the notion of a great reset sort of there's an agenda that anyone can read as Amanda Ulmer was talking about, as many of our guests have talked about either on the air or off. Uh, there is a great reset. What happens when you reset your iPhone, when you reset do a hard reset on your iPhone, you wipe the memory clean, you wipe the whole thing clean. So it stands to reason that a great reset for the, for the world would include the wiping clean of our, past <laughs> a fresh you know this fresh start and so we're at risk potentially i don't i don't you know i don't know we're, you and i have these conversations we don't bring it up often on this on this podcast i don't know what that really looks like how do you achieve such a thing how do you how do you uh hard reset eight billion people i guess dot, we'll dot, find dot. out yeah dot 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 <laughs> i think there's some some pretty dark conclusions people yeah are- surmising or we or or it doesn't happen you know or or, or it's like, all just who who and we don't know what the fuck we're talking about yeah or, right. well or that or or you know or these forces of good versus evil that that nick uh was informed of in his first experience that the good wins out you know this this opposite side that allison sinatra talks about and others talk about the great awakening you know this is the opposite it's either a reset you know, a another forgetting, or you have a great awakening, which is moving forward. Is 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 
incorporating all the lessons that we've learned in the past and then remembering those beyond that we'd forgotten and ushering forward into the brave new world, which is what I would prefer. Um, well, yeah. I, and according to folks like Covell, and it even came up in my hang around the fire last night, that it, at some level, it's it's a foregone conclusion because it's, quote unquote, written in the stars. It's cosmological. Like mm. it, we, it can't help but happen. Yeah. And I, I've, you know, I find comfort in that idea. I hope that's right. I, I do. It feels I good do, to think about. I do too. I do too. Um, until I go out onto my back deck and I look in the blue sky Fuck. and I see three planes in Every parallel. Yeah. Three planes now in parallel at the same time, like staggered. I know, ben. Anyway, it's like I try not to let it get to me. And I actually <laughs> like I took another tip from Amanda and I like talk to them. I'm like, I don't approve of what you're doing. I just say it yeah, out loud. Like yeah. I don't consent. But like I get up really early. It's still really dark. And I make lunch for Willie. And then I, because I have the opportunity, I'm like, I'm going to like go look at the sun for the first 20 minutes. I have to actually have to wait for it. It's funny to be up before the sun so early. I came up to the studio today because it's like above the garage and elevated. And so it gets me like, gets the sun in my eyes like a, a couple minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sitting there and I'm blissing out and I'm staring at the sun. And it's sort of chilly, but I don't care. I'm playing my guitar and just staring at the sun. And then. It's like, like clockwork. Those those yeah chemtrails just like, and it it really makes my heart rate go up. And I I try to check that and not let it get the better of me. But I take a picture of it every time, maybe just for posterity, just to like document the record until someone comes in and wipes my phone. But it's it's every day, yeah, every day. Yeah. The magic and beauty of of the sun the break break of sun kiss the break of day you know and then it's it's tarnished tarnished yeah tarnished by man yeah well we're gonna get we're listener this is our our solemn vow my solemn vow to you we're working hard to get some folks on to talk about that that subject in particular some folks who have done their research and maybe uh represent some of the organizations out there um who are, are keeping a close eye on that topic um because it's something, obviously, because we bring it up obvious, uh, a lot, it's something that we're both passionate about. Amanda just dropped her, uh, she mentioned when we spoke about the freedom of information request that was in, and that yep. just actually came back and she shared it on her Substack stack just, just this week. So go peep yeah, that. Folks should go peep that because there's some more evidence, just more evidence straight yep. from the government. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Hawaii, ayahuasca. I know that I'm going to be. I'm going to be doing another I guess, session. Yeah, I was going to say I should re- re- return the question. So you're. It sounds like you're amped up. Yeah, I am. And and you know, I left Peru. I ended that. I woke up the next day knowing this isn't the end. Uh, this is just the beginning because I didn't get. I, I didn't get a proper session because I because of what happened to me, my extraction from the actual room and the ceremony. Yeah. Uh, I just think that there's a lot. I think that was a a self defense, if any, as much as anything else, was a self defense move. Like I don't know that I'm ready to face everything that I need to face that I need to face. Yeah. Um, and what year so, was that? How long ago was that? It was still over ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but ten, uh, maybe ten, ten, nine years ago. Yeah. But ever um, since then, it's been, yep, it's been in the back of your mind as something. Yeah, and then unfinished when, you know, business. What, correct. And when I did it, then I, I was not aware of any opportunities to do it closer than uh, Peru. You know, so the idea of like oh, I've got to get you know, I've dragged my ass back down right. to Peru. That's right, a long, right. 
and now with a kid, but there are opportunities, you know, there are opportunities that are closer and I think that they are, are, uh, legitimate opportunities, yeah. um, run by, you know, facilitated by legitimate, respectable people who are doing this thing justice, yeah. uh, who are reverent around, um, Madre Ayahuasca, which is the only way I would do it. Of course. And, you know, I'll keep you posted. I think, like, <laughs> like I said, I just don't want to f- be the guy jumping on the bandwagon. And I 100%. think I'm just like keeping that in check. Yep. Uh, one more thing that he brought up that I found fascinating and I've been ruminating on is this idea of they can't read. Um, trying to figure out exactly... Again, like it sounds good. I love that idea. Um, but then there's this whole idea of like the power of the written word and spells and that spells can be used uh, for good or for not. And But I, I, I'm just, I want to ruminate on that one to figure out really what's behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something like, it came up, I think, in the context of like technocracy and AI. And, and maybe there's something to that. It's like with this, the deeper we get down these technological um, dystopian wormholes, the more solace and protection we can find in, in the analog world worlds and in the written word. And, and there's, there's some poetic beauty there that I'm still unpacking. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's another topic we'll tackle, right? More transhumanism. Yeah. I would love to keep, talking to people about all of these threads and uh, I really want to get someone on um, to really keep going into this uh, unpacking the spiritual realms and again like this the outer realms of consciousness and how it's accessible to all of us and especially in the context of prismatic that word that he used that beautiful word mind body soul prismatic is it's not three things but it's just one Mm -hmm. and uh, I just think there's there's it just even seems silly to say that there's a lot of power there. I feel like that's 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 the game is figuring out how to like truly embrace and embody the prismatic nature of of being. Amen. Amen. And I'd say the folks out there have embraced this podcast long enough on this episode. And I will remind everyone (laughs) (laughs) that neither Mike nor I are medical experts. So nothing you heard here should be taken as medical advice. If you have a terrain transformation story that you'd like to share or that a friend or family member would like to share, send me an email at ben at terraintheory.net. And remember that you are light you are love and you are your primary healthcare provider. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.